Right now, now it That's says That's happened on my best behavior, you know? Now it says live, an error happened with something. Maybe Facebook's having issues. There we go. Now we're live for everybody. All right, so here we go. Welcome, everybody, to After Hours. This is January the 8th, and look who we have. None other than a return of the big man, Brian Gray, BG, back in the house. We got some stuff to talk about, pal. Now, first of all, are we infringing on your time? Are you busy bidding on Golden right now, or what? I did all my bidding and I won so little it was disgusting. Didn't win too much. I'm not not that much today. No, not really. Uh, Very okay. sad. Maybe a few things tomorrow. There's some stuff I really want tomorrow, but I won almost nothing tonight. It was pathetic. Is it over? Is the, is the auction done yet? The stuff I was bidding on, I'm done. I mean, I won a few things, just morsels like Lou Holtz worn jackets and stuff like that. I'm going to cut up. Yeah. But like a few things I wanted for the PC are not coming home tonight. Not coming home. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get into it, man. I mean, there's uh, obviously we're here to we're here for you to weigh in on the news that broke on Monday, the third of January, that Tops was acquired by Fanatics. I even wore my Fanatics shirt tonight, be in 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 celebration. Oh, what, what what's that? What's that? You, you give me one of those. What are you celebrating for? I'm celebrating. Why? Why am I? Well, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. We'll get. I'm just supporting the hobby, man. I'm supporting the hobby in the direction it's going in. This this shirt came to me in my box from the Industry Summit in 2020. Right? We got Industry Summit. I guess Fanatics sponsored. So I thought I'd put it on the shirt tonight. We're talking about Fanatics. Yeah, no, I I, I don't have a Fanatics shirt yet, but I guess for the right price, I'll wear one. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing this one for free. The price of a T-shirt. The price of a T-shirt. But well, we're, you're cheap, Jeremy. I didn't realize you were so cheap. I'm not. <laughs> the only thing's a T-shirt. Dang. That's all. That's all it took for for us to spend the first uh, 35 seconds talking about fanatics right now. And now we're going to spend the next hour talking about them too. So, uh, okay. Listen, before we jump in, BG, let's get. Let's just say. Let's just go through the comments. See who we got here. We got Lucky. We got. We got Andy's back. Good to see you, pal. Jacob Dahl. Great to have you. Schmidt's in the house. We got Aries. Aries Nunez in the house. Great, great. Skeppy, Adam Holgate's here. We got Busby back. We got Toa in the house. We got Jeremy from Collector's League. Facebook user in the house. Love seeing leaf cards at Walmart. That's pretty cool. And we got Mike from Eastridge. Mike from Eastridge here. Justin Bode is there. Ryan says he's celebrating the hobby, man. Any tops is better than no tops. Well, there we go. Gross Bro says, looking forward to this combo. Let's go. Let's go, guys. Says PSA Slab Guy. Tampa Investors in the house. I've been gone a long time. Hey, great to have you back. Tampa Home Investors, LLC. Purple Haze, Roger L. Craig Booge. Fanatics buys Leaf by January 2023. Yo, T.Jones. All right. Well, let's, let's start. Let's start with this comment here from Ryan. I'm celebrating the hobby, man. Any tops is better than no tops. BG. First question I want to ask you is, did you predict, did you predict that Fanatics would buy tops? Well, I mean, that was the move. I mean, that was the right move for them. Now, again, knowing all the players on all the sides, it wasn't a certainty it would happen. I mean, I would say that strategically, um, I would have probably liked to seen um, Panini buy tops, frankly. I mean, I think that was the perfect move. And I think it's a bit of a miss that Panini didn't get them. Um, Panini buying tops, first off, would have meant Fanatics had to buy Panini, which would have been a $5 billion transaction, which would have been tasty to watch. Uh, and great for me, because in a perfect world, I want to go one-on-one with Fanatics. I don't want any competition besides me and them. That's like my dream. When I 
when I wake up in the middle of the night and I had a good dream, it's because it's me and fanatics only. They bought everybody else. I mean, that's a perfect world. I'm worth $500 million if that happened. But, but I think realistically, the fact that Panini couldn't pull the move to buy tops, and I believe they wanted to, I think that would have been the move. Ultimately, short of that happening, there was no doubt it's fanatics because Wall Street didn't understand that Topps was a fantastic company, even without the license. Because as I've said a few times, I believe I believe Panini has a chance of being more profitable after they lose the license than they are today, which sounds so counterintuitive. But as someone who understands like the numbers, I think that's really possible. Topps was going to make more money without a license than they did with a license, as whack as that sounds. So it was a great buy at the real price, which was somewhere around a billion. The price was not 500 million. It was somewhere plus or minus 100, 100 mil from a billion. It could be 900, it could be 1.1. But the SPAC deal really was at 1.6, not 1.3 when everything was kind of factored in. So it was still a discount, but it wasn't the fire sell that people thought. I went public and said, I have a group of guys who are ready to go at 600 mil, if that was a possibility. I told them that on your show. I said, at 600 mil, just bring it. I think I said on Golden, maybe. On Golden's uh, Insta, whatever. I just said, bring it. We'll take it for 600 million. There's no 600 million. But I think a great buy for Fanatics. They had to do it. They had to. They had no choice. Upper deck claims are not for sale. I don't know if I believe that. But Tops was the right. Panini would have been the right buy. But short of spending $4 billion from Panini, Tops was the right. was what they had to do. There's no choice. So, yeah, I mean, you you now that we know what happened, it's easy to go back and think about, you know, oh, well, that makes sense. You know, in hindsight, it makes complete sense to me that Fanatics goes after Tops over Panini, over Upper Deck, over Leaf. That makes the most sense to me. Why? Because Tops is Americana. Tops is the brand in sports cards that goes back to the 50s. Panini only goes back in North America to 2010 or some or, or 9, 10, 11 in there. Tops has been around forever. Tops is baseball cards. So if I'm if I'm the if I'm Ruben and Luber and I'm sitting around thinking, okay, we've got we've got the licenses now. We got to find a way to make to make the cards. How are we going to do that if we don't just create it from scratch? New brands, bring in staff, designers, everything we need to do this. To me. If they're sitting there thinking, hey, who should we go after? Should we go after Panini? Should we go after Tops, Upper Deck, Leaf? Then it's a no-brainer in hindsight you go after Tops. Now, you say that you say they want to choice. Tops was second choice. Panini is executionally the best company in the business. And I'm saying that as a competitor of theirs. The way they execute is the best. They don't have the heritage, the legacy. the And again, the Tops history plays really well in all the sports. No doubt about that. I would argue Tops does not know how to make a high-end product. They have very rarely executed on high-end. And since the industry is moving high-end, they better figure that out because they haven't figured it out at Tops. So I'm hoping Tops Panini together, I mean, Tops uh, Fanatics together, maybe they figure that out. But I think um, they are pretty good executionally, Tops. They're the second best executionally. The problem they're going to have is, I don't know where they're going to print their cards. They're going to have a problem. Supply chain is going to be a problem. Where they're going to print their cards, they're going to find out as a problem. They're going to have some problems. They're not going to have any place to print cards in the U.S. Most, I'm betting their stuff's going to end up being made in Mexico or Italy. And if you saw Formula One and Topps Chrome Soccer, you know that's a precarious future to be stuck with. And I believe, without going into stuff that I'm not allowed to talk about, I believe that they're going to have problems printing in the U.S. 
And I believe supply chain is going to smack them right upside the head. Now, with that being said, they got good people. Tops has some great people there. They really do. I love the guys there. I mean, Kevin O'Neill, David Liner, all the guys down the food chain, all fantastic. So I think they've got great people. I think they are second best executionally behind Panini. But I've bought some great history and great heritage. I think they need a little more. I don't know what a little more is. See, Upper Deck wasn't enough because Upper Deck doesn't have the infrastructure to do what has to be done. So they weren't the right answer, even if they were for sale. Panini or Tops, I'm not the right answer for sure. I can't infrastructurally get what needs to get done done. Now, putting a few pieces together, who knows? But but again, I think Panini would have been the best choice. Tops executionally is a great runner-up. And if you can't marry Jennifer Aniston, you settle for Courtney Cox. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But, you know, like to me, and I can't speak to the to the execution behind the scenes like maybe you can, but for, for me, you know, all the, the Tops products, the Tops brands have much more equity than the Panini brands do. Now, for me, the low end, the Prism, to me, Tops Chrome is a better brand name than Panini Prism, even right now. That's just for me. I, I, yeah, you're, you're. Yeah, I mean, that's, I, I think that was, I think in 2014, that was absolutely true. And I think it's the problem. I mean, and again, even Prism, I'm not in love with Prism, frankly. I think it's got a lot of hype. You know, the I don't think the content matches the hype, but. I just think, I think Topps Chrome has a chance of being very good, but Topps Chrome is supposed to be like a hundred dollar box. It's not going to go to a thousand. Like Topps Chrome is not going to be one thousand, like Prism has been. And I'm not saying that's healthy for the business anyway. But my point is to be able to execute the treasures, flawless, immaculate, that level of product, or even Upper Deck exquisite. You know that level of product. Topps definitive is the only thing Topps has been mildly successful with. So. Keep in mind, I mean, I want to see more, but again, they might still be adding pieces. I don't think they're going to, but they might still add some pieces. And if they add the right pieces, you can buy some, you can buy some pieces that can help you with a high end. People who've proven they can make a two or three thousand dollar box of cards that bangs, you know, that kills it. Well, let's talk again, about high let's talk high end for a sec, Brian, because you you said you don't you don't think tops you know has executed well on a high end product. I don't really follow the baseball market that closely, so I can't speak. I don't even know what the tops high end products are called. I don't know if that says anything, but I, I really I'm <laughs> dynasty. I, I'm not even sure. But but uh, with that said, I mean with this acquisition, there things are going to change. It, no matter what might be told to the top staff now or to anybody that it's going to be business as usual. It's not going to be business as usual. New leadership means change. So, so there's going to be some new ideas coming in. We talk about executing. They're going to have to learn to execute better. If they, if it tops will, if they, if they haven't been executing as well as they can in order to, to meet them and to meet the, to meet the standards that fanatics is going to place on fanatics trading cards. So they're going to, they're going to have to find a way and, you know, I have faith that they're going to be able to do that, that, that the leadership isn't going to sit back and say, Tops, keep doing what you're doing. I, that, that's just not going to happen. That's not what happens in that. an acquisition like this. There is going to be a, a significant amount of change at Tops. I'm not saying with the people, but in the way things are done, it, it's just going to happen. Now, of course, Luber and, and Ruben are going to rely on the experience of the Tops people but they're going to be challenged. They're going to be challenged to change and make it better and think of new ways. So I'm, I'm excited by that. And again, you know, as far as the brand, to me, it's a no brainer tops over Panini all day long from a brand 
perspective. I know you said back in well, 2014. Well, the brands, the brands are perfectly good, especially everything below IN. I mean, Chrome, Heritage, Bowman. And again, I mean, Bowman basketball has potential. I mean, there's you, Bowman football. You can bring these things, Bowman Chrome. But there's so many great sets we love that there's going to be places to plug and play them. Ginter. I mean, I know it's a baseball set, but I mean, there's all kinds. Of, I mean, there's a lot of potential there. There really is. And I think the problem's not are the brands good enough. It's what is Fanatics going to do with the brands? Because like you said, they can tell Topps employees on the phone two days ago, three days ago, whatever they want. I know half the stuff they said is hogwash. So you don't know. It's just, it's part of when you make an acquisition, you smile, you give each other fist bumps and high fives, and the chips fall where they may. Everything's great until it doesn't work out the way you want it to. I've been through it. I know. And, and, so it, I and it doesn't and it doesn't work out the way most the, of the time. The, yeah. The, most the of the time it doesn't work exactly like you want it to. And so I think I think here's the thing. What people should be concerned about is not if Tops is gonna survive or if they're gonna buy Panini or they're gonna buy Leaf or Upper Deck or if they're gonna do this. What you need to be concerned about is how are they gonna distribute product? How are they going to price product? That is the critical crux of everything. If they don't distribute product correctly and they don't start recognizing, and it's so tough because Ruben will say one thing on CNBC and then they'll say another thing in the hobby. We love the dealers. We think dealers are important. We sell direct to the public. That's the kind of company we are. Which is it? You know. And again, I respect those guys. They built a hell of a business. But I think what they do next is going to be critical. I think for the next couple of years with Tops, they're going to go status quo with the distributors Everyone's going to be hunky-dory, slapping five. But when all the other sports start falling, then we're going to find out the truth, what it really is. And I don't know what it is. Only they do. They're they're very good. They kept this whole thing so close to the cup for as long as they've been working on it. Even the top thing, I heard it's four to five months they've been working on it. So this isn't like a just overnight. They said, yeah, let's just buy tops. It's been four or five months in the making and a lot of work. So this is... You know, this is not a quick thing. They've been planning it and even taking the licenses were so strategic. They really did a great job of keeping this under wraps because even though we'd heard little whispers that someone was in the background, we had no clue what it was. They did a great job. But with that being said, I think their pricing and distribution strategy is going to decide everything because I don't know that they fully understand the importance of the middleman. You know, a lot of people will say we don't need blowout. We don't need Damon Adams. We don't need Steel City. We don't need distributors. We just need stores and the website or whatever combination of that there is. They don't understand how much product, like what goes on behind the curtain, no one really knows. The amount of product in the channel with all these people in the middle, whether it's stores, internet retailers, breakers, whoever it is, that's a lot of product that gets held to allow the secondary market to mold, shape, move, and decide what the long-term direction of a product is. If a manufacturer holds all that product themselves, any move in the, in the value of these items is not going to be organic. It's going to be artificial because they're going to have all the product. They're going to determine the pricing. I just think you can't brag about how much money you're going to bring to the leagues to get the license and expect the people on the other end not to see that the money is coming out of their backside. Right? I mean, where's the money coming from? They're going to take as much margin out of the middle as they can, even if they keep the middlemen. But if you don't think prices are going to be higher, people who think, oh, now Fanatics is taking over, it's going to be cheap. Get out of here. No chance at all. You have no chance you're buying product cheaper in a Fanatics world unless the products aren't any good. Then you may buy them cheaper. But this is going to be no favor to collectors, and I don't blame them. That's where the industry is going. It's a big money industry, and if you want to play, 
you know, it's going to start costing and I don't think it's going to get better anytime soon. So you, you mentioned distribution, you know, how important that and pricing strategy, how important that's going to be. I mean, Fanatics, they're not a brand new company. They, they're experts at these things, experts at both of both distribution and pricing. So don't you think like, are, are you, are you willing yet to give them the benefit of the doubt that they will arrive at the right strategy for pricing and distribution? Or are you skeptical? You sound skeptical. Well, here's the thing. Um, if I go to an ice skating rink and pretend they know everything about ice skating, just because I've been places where there's been ice before, or because I, I used to be a roller a speed skater, believe it or not, roller skating, but I'm not much of an ice skater, probably not now at all. But even when I was in better shape, I wasn't much of an ice skater. I was a better roller skater. But just because I can roller skate doesn't mean I'm an ice skater. You need someone who, un- I don't think they have people who really understand the mechanics of the industry the way they need to. And this is with tops. I'm not being mean, but those people don't understand the secondary market because they have not been at every step of the food chain. And there's more people at Panini that have been at every step of the food chain than, than there are at tops. So first I would argue they don't have people. With, and then the other thing is finance claims they want to do everything soup to nuts. Well, how are you going to do that if you don't have people that understand everything soup to nuts? Who know everything about grading, who know everything about, and you, and I saw some of the comments, Coach, when you got their cash, you can hire people. No chance. That is the biggest misconception. The high end, the high end people at these companies are making a lot of money. And when I say a lot of money, I'm talking about like vomit, a lot of money. Fanatics isn't poaching them. To poach them, Fanatics would have to pay more than they're paying their number three or four person. Trust me, they're not going to go pay Panini or Leaf employees $600,000 a year to hire them. They're just not. And I know people think they're going to. The number four guy at Panini probably doesn't, at, at uh, Fanatics probably doesn't make 600000 And that's like this, people in the comments say they'll just go cherry pick from Panini. Yeah, go pay them a million dollars a year. You can cherry pick from Panini. Guess what? They're not doing that. That's not Fanatics culture. They're not paying a million. I know people that have been there for 15 years at Fanatics who make 100 grand and are important people there. Trust me, they're not breaking the bank. And it's okay. Because, and the other thing is we've all built, I think us and Panini, we've built loyalty with our people. They're not leaving. Come, come, come take it. Come get it. I'll challenge them to come try to thank my people. You can take someone in my shipping department, maybe if you want one of them. You know, maybe get lucky and get like a customer service person. Probably not, though. I just took Panini's best customer service person away, Joe White. But I mean, you're not getting these people. No one's going to care. It's just what it is. And then I see someone mention Fanatics Equity. Oh, you offer them stock options. Guess what? There's a reason why Fanatics Sports is separate from Big Fanatics. Because if it goes south, Big Fanatics doesn't go with it. But the little Fanatics startups with the players associations who got all that equity, goodbye. If they go bankrupt, they're separate from Big Fanatics. Big Fanatics will take a small hit on the balance sheet if these things blow up. I mean, so for real, it's just, and the hard part is, and someone just said they'll leave for 120000 Every key person at Panini who Fanatics would want makes way more than that. And again, this is, it's kind of like when people talk about grading. I mean, sorry to get off topic. People always say, well, the grading companies pay nothing. Trust me, the good grading companies, the good people make a lot of money. The world's changed. We pay $40,000 a year for people to put stickers on autograph cards all day. So like the world's changed. That used to be 20 grand, you know? So we'll see what happens. I mean, at the end of the day, 
Fanatics is going to do what they got to do. I think they're going to have to buy another piece or two to be successful. I don't think they will. I don't think they will. They probably, in a perfect world, they buy everybody or try their luck. Again, my wet dream is that I hate to use those words, but it really is for them to buy every company except for me. That would make me the happiest man in the world. But, you know, at the end of the day, we'll see what happens. You know, so I, let me, they, need, they need to buy more pieces. They do. And the problem is they're going to miss out on me because I'm getting bought by someone. Probably not going to be fanatics. Or I'm going to have a minority investor who's very, very, very famous. And as soon as they sign on, we're going to have people begging for equity. And it's fine. We don't need to sell to them. We can sell to anybody. We make a lot of money and we're pretty smart. And it's not just us. Upper Deck has great brands and great relationships with players. They'd be a great target. But they say they're not for sale. I don't think Fanatics is paying over $4 billion for Panini. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't know who they're going to buy. Okay, we'll right. See. So listen, listen. You're saying, okay, they're not going to hire people. They're not going to spend money to, to, try to hire people. But you're saying they're not going to be able to hire the best people in the hobby right now. Or you said they won't spend the money. It's not their culture was what you said. I want to just bring, I want you to respond to this. CM says, well, they just spent billions for the licenses or they promised billions for the licenses and 500 million to buy tops. They are actually spending some money. Don't you think, would you, would you advise Fanatics trading cards to go spend more money than they're say used to or willing to, to poach some of these best people in the industry? Well, like I said, first off, with stock options to Eisner and all the pieces, because Eisner took stock, I think, not cash, it's a $1 billion piece, the whole thing. So it is more than the 500 also, And again, the competition of my tops was two, Panini or Fanatics. Those were the only two options. Again, $600 million wouldn't get it done, so I wasn't really an option. But like at a billion dollars, which is what I knew it was going to cost, it was going to be one of those two. So, yeah, they want a heads-up fight against Panini. Super. There's a big difference when they've got – how many employees does Fanatics have? And you're going to go pay half a million a year for employees from Upper Deck, Leaf, and Panini to try to steal them away? They're not going to do that because then corporate culture is going to fall apart there when people who have been there 15 years making hundred grand hear about it. And they will hear about it. Trust me. Plus, all the key people in our companies have non-competes that are enforceable. So – that's the other piece of the equation. You know, we're all smart. We know how to write enforceable non-competes in Texas. You can ask my friends at Panini. I think we're both really good at that. So nothing's going to happen with us. Maybe you poach some upper deck people because, you know, the future is just hockey. Maybe you can poach some of them. But I just, I, I think they will spend money. They're going to have to. I will say one last thing. When they put up their, they spent billions on the licenses. First off, they've spent $0 so far. And when Tony Clark said that it's 10 times what the other company was paying. Yeah, for a 20-year contract versus a four-year contract. And with anticipation as part of that, that the PA is going to make something in terms of the profit share for owning equity. They're making a lot of assumptions that just aren't facts. They're, they're assuming there's going to be profit. I'm telling you, if they paid substantially more, the collector is going to get it up the backside. Fortunately, I don't think they paid substantially more. I think they paid roughly double. And frankly, the leagues would have paid double. I mean, any, Panini would have paid double. Tops would have paid double. It's not a problem. They just didn't have a chance. And anyone who thinks non-competes aren't with the paper they're written on, someone wrote there, yeah, I'd make a 100K wager that non-competes enforceable in Texas. 
If someone has a title and you give them extra money to sign it, it's 100% enforceable. So again, people have to understand the business side of this. Trust me, Panini's ready for war. I'm ready for war if I have to be. I prefer just to put my head down and do what we do well. But I believe there will still be antitrust litigation rearing its head in this process, not by me, but by someone. That's my belief. I believe there will be antitrust litigation and it will make, you know, other lawsuits we've seen in the industry look like child's play. I think there's going to be a big fight. And I think Tops was thinking about litigation before they made their deal. So, Brian, so far, the tone of this discussion is, is a, it's you know, there's some skepticism in how things are going to roll out. And, and it's understandable because it's uncertain. We just we just don't know. And and we're also, you know, you and I uh, are also lifers in this hobby. So we're protective of it. Uh, you know, and, and a newcomer coming in and basically taking taking basketball, football and baseball uh, and then, you know, rolling through and purchasing tops and all that. It can be uh, it's foreign to us. It, it, it's new. So all that said, you, you have some issues with it. What are the what are the good things? What, what are the what are the good things? What do you see good happening based on this acquisition? And and what do you think? And actually, before we get there. Were you surprised by the timing? Did this was this announced sooner than you were expecting? It was for me. I wasn't expecting 100%. this yet. I, I thought they I thought they were going to slow play this more because again, I have a lot of respect for Michael Rubin. I think he is a master chess player. Using the example I used at the industry summit with how we have to think about our moves three steps ahead, ten steps ahead, whatever it is. Um, I think the move was faster, but you know, some people have brought up the tops had some debt payments coming up, and that might be a reason why they accelerated it. Because when you take all the money, and again, this is just business, when you take all the money out of your business as you make it, if you do have milestone payments like that, you have to pull the money back out of your pocket and put it back in. And for some people, it's a lot easier. For most people, it's easier to pull the money out than to want to put it back in. So I'm sure that was a piece of the equation. This probably was a year or two ahead of schedule. Probably. I mean, what people thought was going to happen, they were going to let tops, you know, let it simmer a little bit, but the price was fair. A billion dollars is fair. That's a fair price for tops. They're going to make 180 million this year. A billion is fair. So I think I will say I'm optimistic about a few things. Like you said, I'm not all bearish. What hang I'm on bearish about, I just I, hang on. I just want to jump in. We we'd heard so many people say that Fanatics isn't going to wait. They're going to find a way to get involved before the license kicks in. Very and, smart. Boom, it happened. They're involved. They're involved now. I mean, if this deal, I don't know if it's closed yet, it might have to close. But once it closes, which will be if it hasn't yet in the next couple of months, they're in. They're now running the show at Tops and they're running baseball. And eventually they're going to add basketball and football. So the, the, it's happened. And uh, and to me, I'm very impressed by that. I'm very impressed. Number one, like, they they did it cloak and dagger style. Like I don't know. You heard you you said that there were whispers that someone was out there lurking. I don't know if anybody really know knew who it was and that they were going to come out and and do this so quick. But it, I think it took everybody by surprise a week ago uh, Monday. So they're they're involved now. They are they are there. They have influence already uh, because they need a running start. You can't just start in 2025 and say let's make cards. You know, this is the way to do it. I mean, it really is. Um, I would say that it's a way to do it. 
The price was fair. The timing was good. If Tops had stuck to their guns and said 1.5 or 1.6 billion, the deal wouldn't have got done now. It'd have been another year from now. They would have tried to wait Tops out. But the price was good. They struck and a great decision. With all that being said, even though I'm pessimistic about the licking of lollipops and waving of flags that everyone's trying to do, thinking the world's all better because Fanatics is here, it can be. They can do a great job. They really can. What they have, the reach they have into the marketplace beyond our normal little collector base is fantastic. I mean, what kind of idiot can sit here and say that Fanatics doesn't have a very powerful reach? Yes, 100% they have that. Now, with that being said, because I can reach the top shelf doesn't mean I can pull a 500-pound boulder off the top shelf. You have to have some skill in figuring out how to get that thing down without having it crack over your head. So these guys are going to have to show some skill and some finesse and really be thoughtful about the decisions they make. But I think their reach is fantastic. They aren't a marketing machine. I mean, I get emails every day from these guys. They're phenomenal at that. And the decisions they've made so far to and the way they've executed has been very, very strategic. Makes me confident that they will continue to be strategic and make what are, you know, they're making the right decisions for Fanatic so far. And considering they have the licenses, I think I think the hobby agrees, especially baseball collectors and a lot of basketball and football collectors too, that they're excited. There's a lot of excitement in the hobby for this well, that we're going to have all these tops brands in three sports now instead of just one. It's huge because honestly, I'll tell you what, if they had gone, if, and at one point there was some thought of that Fanatics might go Fanatics branded because Fanatics has been very brand driven traditionally. Thank God they didn't. That would have been a cluster of epic proportions. And I would have said, if they had gone on their own, that would have been the begin, the end of the bull market in trading cards. If they had gone on their own and tried to create all new brands, you can't do that. They made the right decision. Whether it was Topps or Panini, again, I would probably leave Panini just because of executionally. I don't think Topps has all the pieces to execute printing in the United States and dealing with supply chain, all the things we're going to have to do this year. But I think great choice. They had to do something. They didn't. You know. But I think, I think Fanatic's reach is phenomenal. Their marketing is tremendous. I think they have some incredible athlete partnerships. You know, they obviously work well with the leagues, even though NFL Properties has not signed on yet, which people need to look at that. And that should be like a big red light flickering. Why has NFL Properties not signed on to this and everybody else is on board? I'm not going to tell you why, but you need to think, you should be asking yourself that question. I don't know how that's going to play out. It's not a done deal, though. Let's. Listen, let, let's talk about supply chain for a second and, and printing of cards, because that's going to be a challenge for it's a challenge in the industry right now. So, you know, what what are fanatics? What are the options they have right now for fanatics and tops moving forward in terms of being able to print the, the amount of product they're going to need? It seems like no company can print the amount of product they need right now. There are delays and delays all over the place. So what are their options? I mean, well, let me ask you, that. what's their best option? I believe their options are to just use the vendors that are out there find new vendors overseas or wherever and we've seen how that's gone for f1 and that sort of thing but what about buying an existing printer and cutting off upper deck and panini and leaf altogether and just taking it for themselves or what about building a new facility a brand new printing and do you think they're buying futures in paper right now um the only way to get paper is to pay blood money and we're, we've done that secured all the paper we need for 2022 but we paid so high over the market rate that they can't they're not going to be able to buy the amount of paper they need. And the, it's not just paper. It's, 
It's not buying paper. It's buying finished paper, the kind of paper we need to make cards. You can't do it. It's very hard to do. But the big issue is, I believe, without sharing rumors I hear, I believe the ability for them to buy one of the biggest printers is not possible for whatever reason. I can't really say, but I've basically heard that they can't buy the printers. So their choices are going to be, they have two choices, really. PBM, who is Upper Deck's home, which is owned by Donnelly, which is a mega company. They're going to have to go, they can't buy Donnelly. Donnelly's way bigger than Fanatics. They're bigger than Fanatics, so they're not buying Donnelly. They're going to have to kill Upper Deck, push Upper Deck out of that printing set. If Upper Deck gets pushed out of there, they're finished because they can't go anywhere else. They're done. So we better cross our fingers and hope that they don't strong arm Top's location. Um, they're going to end up, I think most of their stuff's going to end up getting printed in Mexico because they're building a factory there that Donnelly owns. But again, when you print stuff in Mexico or Japan or China, you can expect a certain amount of leakage. You can expect quality control issues. Look at Formula One and look at Top's Chrome Soccer with the nicks in the back of the cards. This is what happens when you pass it overseas and you hope that everything's going to work out. It's just when you're printing at the scale they're going to have to print, that's what causes the biggest supply chain issues is being too big. That's why Panini has those issues. And that's why Thompson's had those issues. Too big. Too much paper, too much print. The print run of Prism is probably bigger than half of the print run of all Leaf products. It's like it would take six months for the facilities we've cornered the market on and, and locked down. It would take, and we've locked ours down because obviously the same forethought I've shown my employees I've shown there. Um, it would take six months to make a prison product there. They couldn't do it. They can't do it. So we've they've got to focus on the couple of big guys. You know, they got to focus on them. Well, JJG jumps in and says, don't doubt Ruben. He gets what he wants, especially if we are talking paper. Well, I guess I guess time will tell. <clears throat> yeah, okay. I guess, yeah, sure. Is he, what else so, would he, well, he wants to be Jennifer Aniston? First off, I respect him, but again... This is not money, because I promise you, if money solved all the problems, Benini wouldn't have any delays right now. They can afford to pay two. The fact is, they can afford to pay two. And you, you can't make happen what's happening. And no, to the person who just posted, I don't believe they can buy GC. I don't think that's possible at this stage. Or it's a lot of fun to speculate what's going to happen. We, that's, that's a, you know, it's a, it's a core competency of, of, of content. But despite all of the concerns that, that, that you may have that certain that people in the hobby have about the future of the hobby in, in this new environment with fanatics owning tops now, what do you like about the deal, Brian? What, where do you see where, where do you see growth in the hobby in the next year you know related to the acquisition of tops? the fact that it wasn't Panini, the fact that it wasn't upper deck, the fact that it wasn't leaf, what do you see? What do you like about this? Where, where do you see well, I think they, they bought history. I mean, and again, it's a microcosm of what I did when I bought Leaf and Pro Set. I bought history. That's what helped me get started. They're doing it on a much bigger scale. They bought history. They bought the history of the hobby like that. So the great news is they bought brands. They bought heritage. They bought following. They bought, they bought a lot of brand equity there. That's all huge. That's all huge. They've got such great distribution. They're going to bring new people in. And those new people know the top's names. Like there's all kinds of good stuff here. Like I have, I have almost nothing critical to say about what they've done. I think they have done an almost genius job of pulling off what they have so far. 
I just know that I've watched enough races to see a guy get out to a huge lead or a horse get out to a huge lead. But a lot of horses start strong. And when they come down the stretch, that wily veteran who knows what they're doing is the one who kicks strong down the straightaway. And so that's where you have to finish strong. And I think fanatics can do that. But you can't take for granted the pieces that they're going to need to do that. And tops is not going to be enough. They're going to have to add more. I don't know what more is, whether it's employees, whether it's companies. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just time. Maybe it just takes a lot of time. Whatever it is, it's going to take more than what they've done now to make them the dominant company in the industry. Because, again, there's a whole other side to this thing that people don't realize. A very big company could take on heads up and just keep using the logos and keep using the players without permission. You do know that both of those are probably legal. You're probably allowed to use the uniforms without permission, not the little logo on the bottom, but just like the uniform, the Yankees uniform. You're probably allowed to use that without permission. You don't need permission. And you're probably allowed to put Albert Pujols on a card whether you have a deal with him or not. So you might see a monster big $4 billion company say, you know what? Screw all you guys. We're going to use our First Amendment, fair use, all those things that are the legalese crap, and just keep making cards like we always have been. Now, yeah, well, you know, what like, kind of world would that be, boy? That'd be listen, something like, oh, let's go with Oh, let's go one, be able to sleep at night and be so excited. If there's one thing that I am certain of right now, it's that it's that fanatics will surprise us again. They've surprised us twice. They they dropped a bomb on us in August, and they just this I don't consider this as much of a bomb because people are expecting it, and it makes a lot of sense to me at least in hindsight now that they've bought tops. But you know, for all we know, Brian, they're already. And they're already, they might announce something a week from now. You know, there's already been some, some time has gone by. They've announced the, the top deal. They got to close on that if it's not closed yet. But the next big announcement could be coming soon. And it could take us all by surprise, uh, yourself included. Maybe they oh, are yeah. going to buy a major printer. Maybe they are going to open up a facility and they've got all the equipment coming in from Italy or wherever you buy paper processing equipment coming overseas to build a, build a facility in their backyard. It's, again... If there's one thing that I'm certain of, it's that we will be surprised again. 99, 95% certain of that. So if if I'm right, what would you predict would be the next big announcement that Fanatics will let us, will apprise the hobby on? Well, I think the first part is they, they need to get football locked up. But uh, but I think if they surprise us, I mean, like a total surprise would be an Upper Decker and Panini. That'd be a total surprise. And for different reasons. Panini, because that's who they need to buy, but it's too expensive. They're going to see it as too expensive. And Upper Deck, because a lot of possibilities run wild if they were to somehow get a hold of Upper Deck. Because that kind of fills some of that high-end brand gap. It brings, potentially, if they don't opt out, if they don't opt out, they bring some big personalities. Although I believe Jordan and MJ can opt out and Tiger if they have a change of ownership. Gretzky. And some of those may, someone may get taken away anyway. You never know. But, but I mean, whatever it is, they could opt out. But think about the shock the hobby would have if they had bought Upper Deck like right afterward, if they bought them next week. People would be going crazy about exquisite basketball back, exquisite basketball back, which would be cool. But that would be a surprise. The great shoe to drop for them. I think Panini would be the best for them. If they bought Panini, I'm 100% convinced that they will succeed in the trading card business. 
So what do you because think? Because Panini executionally can do something Upper Deck can't. What? Yeah. And again, they don't what? have what? What, Brian? They what can't can they print do? cards. Where's Upper Deck One Hockey? They can't get anything out. Panini is making 80 releases. So that's why there's still stuff coming out. If they only made it five releases, maybe they have trouble too. It's one, 12 releases, whatever. But I think the point is Panini executionally have in-house. The pre-production stuff they do is fantastic. They do it all in-house. They have the best ability to execute at the printer now outside of us because we're small. We execute well because of our size. If we were 10 sizes size, I'd have my head in my hands. I wouldn't be on with you. I'd be crying because I couldn't get any products out. Thank God I'm the size I am. Not, not a slacker anymore. I'm decent size, but like, thank God we're small or we'd be screwed like a tied up goat. I mean, like for real. So I think either of those would be a great surprise. It really would be a great surprise. I think, honestly, I think Panini's, I think Fanatics might be done. I really do. I think they might be done with acquisitions because, again, while I think they need more, I could be wrong. I'm not, I mean, I like to think I know everything, but I probably don't. You know, I have a lot of experience and I kind of see how this can play out. And I, I like to think I'm pretty visionary. They may have enough. They may. They may, I mean, but I think, I think they, they need printing. They need printing and paper. To me, that's the biggest hole. That, in, no, 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 in, no, that's, in more than that's more than that. That's more than that. To be the size they want to be. Tops cannot be a company that size. The people there cannot facilitate what has to happen to be the owner of the whole world. You have to have everything to own the world. They really need everybody. But I think they're going to get by with Tops. Maybe they'll add one more piece. I don't think it's Panini. And honestly, I don't think Panini needs to sell to them. They're going to make more money. After they lose the license and they are today, I, people think I'm nuts, but I promise they're going to make a shitload of money because I've, I've given them the roadmap. Look at what I've done without these brands. They are going to make a shitload of money. That's it. Because when you don't pay the licensing and you don't have rules, the no rules is so valuable Think about what no rules could mean to a company like Panini who does have brands. See, my life, my company got more valuable this week when Tops got bought by Fanatics because that's one less person that's lurking in the dark, doing what we do with no rules, being creative and whatever it is we do to be able to deliver value to the customer and make money. I love it. I mean, it's great for me. I think Panini is in a fantastic position. And honestly, if Panini called me and said, hey, Bri, come to our side. You know, let's do a deal together and come be with us. And let's let's take your model and plug it in a huge way and just crush the world. I'd say yes. I'd say let's go. Because I see that as an incredible challenge. That's more attractive to me than some private equity idiot buying me out for our $100 million. Really, just being honest. I'd rather sell to someone strategic who I can help change the world with. I don't know who it's going to be, but I think that's the thing. If Panini goes down my road, they can be wildly profitable. If they go down the Maverick road and they say, screw everybody, let's go. Let's get dirty. Because I promise you, intellectual property wise, where I've gone, I play nice. I'm not so sure other people are going to play nice. I don't use the, the Jersey 
I airbrush the jerseys. I don't use players without permission. I use the back of a jersey or something instead. Trust me, I don't have to do that. I do that because I don't want to waste money on lawsuits unnecessarily. I only want lawsuits when they're necessary. Because that's a $5 million fight. It is, $5, $10 million. The fight that could be coming. But if Panini wants to stand up to Fanatics and say, let's go toe-to-toe, that's the road to beautiful gold-paved heaven on earth in the card world. That's the road. Right. Okay. <laughs> I. You know what? I, I just... <laughs> For some I get reason, so excited listen, listen. This is going to be a you say, Hold on, when you say go, when you say when you say Panini go to war with Fanatics, I can't see them winning. I just, I just, I just see them getting. Yes, your question. What's winning? Survival. You're winning. Survival. Survival. I Survival. should already be dead by now. But guess so what? You're my, not at war. You're not my, really at war. You know, I've been at war. Every every one of these companies has come after me. You don't think Panini has sued me multiple times? Tops has sued me multiple times? Upper Deck and me have been litigation? You don't think I've been chased down? I get legal letters from leagues all the time. But you know what? Our profits in the last two years are up 900%. 900%. Do you, are you, but do you think that if Panini challenged the rights that Fanatics thinks it has, whether they do or don't, the, the rights that they think they have, you don't think Fanatics would throw... A, a much more money at a legal fight than you would. I it's mean, they obviously have the capability it. to do that. Here's the thing. It's just the law. You can throw as much money as you want at it. If you don't think Panini has the war chest to go for it, it doesn't take a billion to go to court. This is five or 10 million. That's like one first off the line product. So like, do me a favor. The money is not the issue. The fact of the matter is going to be, what does the law say? And I'm telling you, there is not one person in this hobby Let's go, maybe, but even let's go. When I talk to him, he doesn't. Sometimes he doesn't know some of the cases that I'm really up to. Trust me, I've studied the hell out of this. It doesn't take a lot of money to prove that you're right. It takes five to ten million. Now we have the war chest for that. Now we didn't in 2017. We do now. Maybe we could do it. But the fact is, I like playing nice. I'm friends with everybody. I just want to stay in my little corner of the world. Just keep making my little bit of money. I'm happy. You know, I haven't missed a meal. Everything's good. I don't think it's going to be a cake. I, here's the thing. It's not like Fanatics is going to make cards and everyone else is just going to go take their toys and go home. If anyone thinks that's going to happen, they're nuts. That's not going to happen. What's going to happen probably is the manufacturers will coexist as they have for the last 10 years. You notice I'm still around. And honestly, I think of myself as being friendly with most of my competitors. And even Upper Deck, I don't, I don't have a bad will against them. And we had a legal action. You know, it, just, it is what it is. They're good people there. So the bottom line is manufacturers are all kind of in the same fraternity, even if we compete. I think, honestly, you're going to have a friendly environment between Fanatics and Panini and us or whoever's left, Upper Deck. I think you're going to see a friendly environment, actually, because the health of the industry is in everybody's interest at the end of the day. And trust me, there is a red button that can be pushed. And it's part of why people have been nice to me because they were afraid I'd be the one to push it. Everyone needs you to get talk of, What's this red button? What is The red button is intellectual property. I'm telling you right now, you don't need rights for any of this. I mean, I, we can waste like another half hour. I can give you all the, um, I can give you all the case law that lays out the case. Summer. 
Cold the fact is, the summary is, look at Major League Baseball Pacific, 1994. That's why Pacific got a license. 1998, Upper Deck versus MLB Players Association. If you remember in 19, 2000, was it 2008 when they lost the license? 2008, sorry. They, um, they used logos on the cards for Upper Deck Series 2 Baseball. They wrote a brief that was one of the greatest briefs in the history of card legal world, spelling out why you don't need rights to use the logos. They dropped the case on their own because hockey and NFL said, oh, 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 we know you're pissed at baseball, but what you're arguing this thing is that we have no rights. And they forced and bullied him into dropping it. But Pacific, that's why baseball gave Pacific a license in 94, because they were going to win. The fact is, it's just like the real world. A bunch of countries have the red button. That's why we all just got to get along. Because there's a few guys that can cause a real problem. And it's not a threat or anything. It's just the hobby is healthier when everybody doesn't try to take each other's legs out. We spent a decade of all the manufacturers going after each other. But the last five or seven years, the manufacturers have have really been friendly. They haven't tried to screw each other over to the detriment of the consumer for the most part. And I think that's that's what we have to strive for. Because I'm not going anywhere. Panini's not going anywhere. We may get bought. We may not. Who cares? We're going we're gonna to keep making cards. So we can either all do it friendly or we can all be unfriendly. I think the consumer loses. I really do. I think the consumer loses. I love the comments. I keep looking over there. It's like, I'm really, and I'm really not trying to, I'm really not trying to like make it sound like the world's like this big China complex where there's a big red button. Everyone's scared China's going to push it. It's not like that. It's just nobody wants to know if you have to have these rights or not. Because that's what keeps people from coming to the table. Every guy in their garage could make cards theoretically if the red button got pushed. Which is why people like me haven't pushed the red button. You think I want to help bring more competition into the market? I'm not pushing the red button. Not unless I'm ready to retire, which I'm getting closer. But until I'm ready to retire, I'm not pushing the red button. But I think you don't want to – I'm not trying to sound like crazy, like like I'm this radical, you know, if you don't let me play in the sandbox, I'm going to push the button because that's really not it at all. It's more about I don't think people who are not in the in the scrum – I don't think they really using a rugby reference. I don't think they really know what goes on in the scrum until they're in it. Yeah. And like what the reality is. And I think the reality is the manufacturers all want the hobby to be healthy. The leagues want the hobby to be healthy. Have you ever wondered why the leagues haven't come after me in 10 years? If what I'm doing is so dicey? First off, they can't win. And second, we're all happy with how things are going. What do you want to screw up a good thing? So with all that being said, I will say this. I believe Fanatics has the best interest of the hobby in mind with what they're trying to do. Because I've heard of things they're trying to do behind the scenes. And I actually think they have a good intention. I really do. I don't think they're coming in here thinking they're going to harm the consumer or something. I do like the red button hologram. That gets me excited. I didn't think about that. But see, Credit to Willie T. Credit to Willie T. I just love this so much. Let me comment on one other thing. Mike Zier said, LOL. The CLC pushed the red button on you a few times, and you know it. They sent me one legal letter, and I told them the next time they send me a legal letter, I'm showing all the logos and everything, so never reach out to me again. And guess what? Uh, what was his name? Um, he was from Atlanta, the guy who did all the negotiating. He said, no problem. I understand your position. Never had another talk again. Because, again, at the end of the day, we don't need any rights. I said, as a courtesy, I airbrush the jerseys. 
please don't test me on this because again, I'm going to win. If we get into a scrum and you're getting, and then you lose all your licensing revenue, you realize that all you'll be getting is money for the pictures taken in the stadiums. That's really all they'll be getting money for if they ever try to test that. That's why they'll never come after anyone who does that. The fact is, we show respect, we airbrush the jerseys, let fanatics have the logos. We don't need that. We'll only do deals with players we have. We'll put them on cards. That's fine. You know, it's, I promise you, the manufacturers are more friendly than you think they are. They really are. Me and Panini and me and Tops get along better than anyone would ever imagine. You would not believe it. And Panini and Tops get along. You would not believe it. Trust me, I think Fanatics is also a company who knows what the best, who knows that the best course of action for the hobby is to keep it healthy and to keep it moving forward instead of stuck in the scrum. What advice, Brian, what advice do you give Panini moving forward then? I think Panini should probably, I don't know if, see, if it were me, I wouldn't go as rogue as they could. I wouldn't use the logos without permission. Again, I think they'll win if they go to court. But again, I've gotten too old for legal fights and stuff. <laughs> like that. I've gotten too old. I'm being serious. I've gotten too old to want to have a bunch of lawsuits anymore. You know, I've hired my heir apparent, the guy who's going to be my day-to-day person in the office when I'm gone. And that's, that's not too far away. I mean, I've hired that person. We're looking forward. And um, at the end of the day, I think... Um, I think we've all just, we're past, like, the business is too good to get stuck in the scrum. And I, I think that's the example. I get. Just get out. It's not fun down there when people are sticking their fingers in your eyes and punching in the stomach, you know? Who knows? Any? I see your eyes on the, anything else in the comments you want to address? I love them. I mean, I love it. I mean, it's uh, the Pro Set Hologram Red Button is one of my favorites, I have to say. Um, I did use wet dream screwed like a tied up goat and I'm not trying to sound crazy in the same, in the same, in the same soliloquy. So that's pretty fun. I mean, you have to love that, but I mean, again, here's the thing at the end of the day, I use colorful examples because I think it's important for people to understand. And I think the other companies are like this too, even though they won't come on here and be quite as aggressive in how they say things. I think I think there's people with passion at every company. And when I have just private phone conversations with people at Panini or Tops, they are very, very, very passionate about this business too. And they'll say things that crack me up where I'm like, man, I wouldn't have said that. That's kind of bold. And I think I'd say almost anything. And they say these things. I'm like, man, these guys are good. You know, they, they're pretty witty and they're pretty, but they're passionate too. And I'll tell you, I've talked to a few people on the Fanatics team. They're pretty passionate too. They're playing a little more even keel because they've got to be a little more politically correct right this minute. But I think they're passionate about what they're – that's the thing. There's a bunch of good people in the hobby. It's unfortunate prices are as high as they are on products because I think the hobby would be better off if we started more reasonable and let product prices grow organically. I think that'd be better, you know. But that's part of what our success has been, honestly, is that with a market where every product, whether it's good or not, is through the roof, our product has been a pretty good value. And so I think that's actually helped Leaf grow, that the market's been stupid. But I think we need to have a correction. We And I think Fanatics can help add to that maybe. I say maybe because no one knows. You don't know any better. I don't know any better than you do what's going to happen. What I do know is making cards ain't easy, especially as many cards as they got to make. It's headaches every day. There's some problem every day. And 
trust me, I spend half of my worry and half of my gray hairs come from supply chain COVID, supply chain COVID. It's every day. Yeah. Every day it's supply. And if, if I keep my staff healthy somehow, half of the printing facility that does the game use cards, half of them have COVID right now. They're shut down. It's like mother of pearl, man. We're finally making headway and we can't get this stuff out because people I don't control got COVID. So, Brian, you just used the term mother of pearl. You have a product named Pearl. Yes, I do. Does that mean that we can expect a product called Wet Dream in the future? No, you will not see that. I don't know how I can put that on the box. But <laughs> I will tell you. I'm, you surprised see, I, I'm surprised I even said it right here. Let me let me ask I, you this now. I will tell you, when you see Leafs 2022 soccer products, what we're going to put out in soccer this year, that term, we may not put it on the box, but collectors may. Because it's going to blow people away what we put together. It's pretty sick. But go ahead. I look forward to seeing it. So I asked you what advice you would give Panini. You 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 kind you kind of answered that. What advice would you give Upper Deck now? And I'm asking because you know they're another big player in the hobby and they they're the sole licensee of hockey and they've extended that agreement now. So does anything let me ask it to you this way? Does anything change for Upper Deck based on Fanatics buying tops? Does anything change on the hockey market? I don't think so. I mean, listen, hockey. Assuming Fanatics doesn't have some kind of backdoor deal to buy top, Upper Deck, assuming there is no deal, I think Upper Deck really, it speaks to their brand equity in hockey. It really does. That the league sees the value there. And I'm going to give a huge kudos to NHL for doing what they thought was right. And they did the same thing when Panini offered an exclusive last, last time. Panini offered more than tops last go-round. And they took less money to stick with Upper Deck. I mean, up, yeah, PD offered more than Upper Deck last time, and they stuck with Upper Deck even though it was more money. So, like, that's pretty that's pretty impressive because we've just yeah. now seen the other leagues, money makes the difference, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It went, and, and Tops didn't have a chance to match. I've confirmed that. Tops did not have a chance to match the offer. There was some, there might have been some banter where, or discussions where baseball made the assumption that Tops wouldn't match. But Tops was never told, here's the deal, take it or leave it, you know? Yeah. And so they didn't really have a chance to match it. It just kind of happened. And, you know, listen, it's all going to be good. I'm not worried about the industry at all. I think onward and upward. And if I think that despite a big change, and Fanatics is a big change, that's that's good, right? Like, I'm I'm pessimistic and I'm optimistic. What are you optimistic? What? You, tell me what you're optimistic about. Market's going to grow. Market's going to grow, no doubt. And not and not just because of fanatics, but because we're we're entering a world of NFTs. We're entering the world of for Leaf Metaverse, which the possibilities there are so mind blowing that like they leave baseball cards as we know them in the dust. So like we have a, we have something coming that is so epic. We are going to be exposing our passion, our, our cards, the things we're passionate about to a number of people that is insane. Because in a metaverse world, 10 million people, 20 million people, 50 million people can attend an Adele concert. How many people can attend an autograph signing or a card show when worldwide, all you have to do is put on your Oculus headset and you're there. I mean, we could be exposing what we're doing to something, to a crowd that is massive. I mean, that's something to get excited about. Now, maybe that's think, a are you saying that are you saying that the the metaverse is going? Do you think it's going to be as revolutionary as the internet was? 
it's a big deal. Now, I agree with TDOT, who has disagreed with almost everything I've said all that. I do think tangible cards will always be king. But our ability to expose people and educate them, teach them, um, let them be part of what we do. There's a lot of there's a lot of uh, potential for that in a metaverse world. There really is. And we can get a lot of growth there. But again, not to go five years out, because that's five, seven years out. That's a long way away. Even in the short term, NFTs used properly. And there's more to it than what we're doing now. We're wasting that right now. You know, we're wasting the capability of NFTs right now. There's places to take that. If we use all these technological and cultural and uh, social excitement areas, you know, the way we've incorporated crypto in some way, all these things, we take all these things people get excited about and we find a way to incorporate our industry into that and increase awareness using those technologies. That can't be a, that can't be a bad thing. So fanatics is going to bring a ton more people. in. I believe that hundred percent, I believe NFTs and metaverse and whatever follows that three technologies ahead will bring in more people. I believe we have smart money buying tons of cards in this market. No doubt about it. The only thing we really need for us to join that trajectory, because I saw someone mention, what am I buying? The one thing we need in order for our hobby to go back on the straight up ramp that we were on, or at least the very healthy increase, is we need a rotation back into base. And that's that's been my biggest, every radio, everything I do, any interview or when I'm on Clubhouse or whatever, I keep talking about this because it's so critical. Everybody has rotated out of base into nosebleed goats and growls. And the hobby is not going to grow on nosebleed goats and growls. The hobby is going to grow when the rotation goes back into base. Because then the buy-in is affordable for everybody. And there's a high level of liquidity, excitement, and whatever. And I think that's important. And so we will rotate back into base. And maybe Tops Chrome, when, when Fanatics takes over into the other sports, maybe that'll be part of it. You know, when they have Chrome Basketball come back, maybe that'll be part of it. But the rotation back into base is going to be critical. I think that's going to be critical. Because Goats and Grails is not going to get us to the finish line. We're going to burn out them. Too much risk in the Goats and Grails, like these million-dollar, half-million-dollar stuff. It's crazy. That's crazy talk. People can't get involved in the hobby in a meaningful way there. But I'll tell you, when Jaw and Zion and all these things were going through the roof, Tops Update cards and, you know, Bowman Chrome first whatevers, that's when things were cooking because everybody could get in. A guy could start investing in trading cards for $60. That's over because we're telling those people that stuff's junk. Well, hell, six months ago, we told them it was great. Like, which is it? And, like, again, I think we get too hung up on pop reports. We get too hung up on, you know, pops. It's just, again, these we can talk until 3 in the morning if we go into all that stuff. But I think that's the good news about the industry is we've got tons of opportunity here. And I think Fanatics is going to be an important part of that. So, again, as much as I'm like, I don't think Fanatics has everything they need, and I'm skeptical that they can pull it off with just tops, I'll tell you this. I think they're going to help the industry tremendously in the way they're going to participate, which is growing eyeballs. They will be successful there. Okay. Some let, people will lose the hobby, but who knows? Sorry to interrupt. I got to jump in on the talk of base because I've seen some comments in, in the chat, you know, like, Someone made the comment that uh, that high end needs to be more accessible. Um, there's the comment that uh, base is what allows everyone to be a part of the hobby. Well, base isn't going away, but a lot of people in the hobby don't care about it. But a lot of people still do. 
There's a lot of set collectors still in this hobby that collect tops base every year. They collect upper deck series one, two every year. They collect the prism set. People still are collecting base. What I kind of wonder is there seems to be a, an attitude out there that every participant, every hobbyist should have access to every price point. And I don't know any other industry where that exists. Like are, are Ferraris and Lamborghinis not going to last because people can't afford them? No. Or, or because they're out of reach from the people that can only afford a Honda or a Toyota or whatever. I mean, life is full of these different price points and fanatics tops upper deck panini leaf all card companies make price make cards to satisfy and to serve all the different price points or at least they try i mean even the cheapest stuff got out of control i understand that but as far as base goes base is still something you're not going to convince i don't think we're going to convince every or many seasoned collectors to stop going after LeBron James, Michael Jordan, Wayne Gretzky, Mickey Mantle, and start looking for secondary players. No, I agree with that. that that's not, I just don't see that happening. But to say that, I've heard people say base is dead. It's not dead. There's a ton of people collecting it, and you, there's and it's a great entry-level product. There are a great entry-level base card products for people to come in at. But what I take issue with is people feeling like they 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 have they're entitled to high end stuff. If you can't afford it, you're 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 blocked out. That's just the way it is. I, I was watching some content earlier today and the 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 creators were saying that the mint collective priced out priced me out. Well you weren't meant to be there in the first no, place. That, that's meant to, that's meant to be the guys who it are is. buying can I see Ken's in chat. It's the guys who are bidding at his auction or the guys who are trying to get to go to Mint Collective. Probably trying to take his customers, but they're trying to get him to go to the mid collective. They want the big dogs there. What I'm saying is, when I say the rotation out of base, I'm talking from an investment standpoint. People have thrown base out with the bathwater. They just totally fell. I mean, the vintage has firmed up a little bit more, which is nice to see, and the high end stuff is really strong. But I mean, it's there's been a rotation out of base. There's no doubt about that from an investment standpoint. People have they're running from that stuff. It's not just Zion's bad foot that makes it happen because any player that's decent, look at Joe Burrow. The guy's hot as a firecracker. His basic stuff is actually softened a little bit when the guy is playing lights out. Now, what does it take for a guy to go up anymore? Like a cards, don't, they're not going up right now, the base type stuff. It doesn't matter whether a guy plays good or not. But if a guy plays bad or hurts his foot, it's over. The roof's going to come crashing down on you. That's a sign that people have almost thrown that category away, which is why that's what I'm buying right now is I'm buying base. I'm putting all the money that I'm buying cards with into base because I believe a 20,000 pop on Tops Update Acuna, I keep picking on that card because that's my favorite. That's not a lot of cards. A 15 or 20,000 Luca Prism PSA 10 is not a lot of cards. It's a lot of cards compared to a pop three, but guess what? How many collectors would like to have a Luca PSA 10 or an Acuna update PSA 10? You know, I, I hear what you're saying. I just, I'm just I, I see Ken in there and Ken, we did test it, but you could be saying we, I, I do believe this is the real Ken Golden, everybody. That um, is good. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure it is. Uh, you know, I just, I just want to come back to the, the, what the comment I made about the entitlement, you know, and because, because it, it does, it does bother me that people will will make comments that well 
you know, I'm priced out of it. So it's just, it's, it's so, so the hobby's gone to the crapper sort of thing. Well, no, the hobby has evolved. The, the products have evolved. And just like, just like people who can't afford ex, uh, national treasures probably can't afford a Ferrari either. Are they, are they crying about the, the automobile industry at that point in time or that's, just accept it you're right. and play where you can? So that's, that's one thing. I think it's just important to understand that, you know, I'm not. I'm not out there buying Bentleys, and trust me, I love a well, Bentley. Trust, yeah, I went and looked at Escalades today, but I can't fly. I'm not flying private. So, like, there's levels. Even if you're at a high level, there's higher levels. I'm not buying nosebleed million dollar Pat Mahomes. That's not my ballpark. That's just not no. my game. It's okay. Not everyone can buy the ultimate high end. Some people have to say, I can't buy treasures ever again. It's never going to be at my price point. That's why breaking so popular because they can play for less and. You know, I would argue that I don't know what the in some game is if collectors are aided or hurt by that, but they get to play at least. You know, well, at the end of the day, right, a hundred percent, Jeremy. Well, and when when I see those when, when I see those people making those comments, and I just I just think to myself, you know, that's life. Like, where where are you new? Are you new to the world because you've been priced out of things before? Now, now listen. I would love everybody to be able to afford everything, but there's a reason why a box of exquisite or upper decks, the cup or national treasures comes in these big fancy boxes with multiple layers of packaging. It's all about the experience. Not everybody's out there buying Louis Vuitton purses either for their, for their wives or themselves. It's you, you play, you buy what you can afford. The nice thing about the hobby is even if you can't afford a box of prism, you can afford something. You can go on to ComC or Sport Lots or wherever and buy cards for 25 cents and up. You can go to a local card shop and buy cards. There are accessible items in this hobby for everybody. You might just not be able to, but Brian, you might not be able to get your what what you want the most, but you're gonna, but like I want a Bentley the most, but I drive a freaking GMC terrain because that's what I drive. I don't need the Bentley. And I still get to where I gotta go. You live up in the snow in the snow covered tundra, so you probably need that. But, but you're, right. You're, right about that, you're right about that completely. And the good news in the metaverse, you can buy a Louis Vuitton bag for $59. Now, when you carry it around, you only get to carry it around in the metaverse. But again, this could be how high-end products are accessible to collectors in digital virtual world sure. somewhere. And so there may be a way that people can have experiences and, and things like that in a different situation where the hard costs aren't as high. But again, way down the line. In the meanwhile, we all have to be happy in the sandbox we play. That's no, it. And we, that's we're right. gonna, and we're we're all not, and we all we don't all get to play with the same toys in the sandbox. And that's, that's just it. the way the world works. What is that song? That's just the way it is, baby. That's just the way it is, baby. I mean it is what it is. And you know what? Some of us think we can play in a sandbox. We play in a smaller sandbox because we live modest or whatever. People have to make their own choices. But at the end of the day, I do think the companies care, including fanatics. And I think that's a great start because I got to be honest, in 1990, when things fell apart, I'm not sure the companies cared quite as much. It was a cash grab. I worked for Londini. I know. It was a cash grab. Today is not a cash grab. I think the manufacturers, even though it doesn't feel like it, the manufacturers are showing restraint. And even had Fanatics not bought Tops, Tops was not going to not show restraint and just destroy the market. They weren't going to do that. Were you, Brian, were you, were you, what was your reaction when you heard that Upper Deck extended the hockey license 
in, in right in this landscape of fanatics grab, grabbing everything up. Were you impressed? Were you proud of Upper Deck? Were you impressed by that? Yeah, yeah. And, and I was in a lawsuit with him. I was impressed with him because again, they've worked hard to really nurture that category. And the fact is, if NHL sees value there, if the NHL sees value there in the face of a fanatics ready to make a run for the whole world, man, that must tell you that Upper Deck has really built some good, um, some good brand equity and a really strong relationship with the league and hopefully with collectors. You know, I think they've obviously done something right for the league to not dump them like a, like a yesterday's newspaper. Yeah. Okay. I got to, I want to bring up Canner's that, that he says problem is influencers have cramped on the idea of collecting base and pumping grails, hashtag goats only, which is what I titled my live stream on whatnot, where I was selling cards to goats only. Well, listen, I'm not going to waste my time selling 10 cent commons or, or $2 commons even. So yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's is what it comes down to is you go to any card show nowadays, you're not seeing base cards in, in base cards is such a broad term that includes a 52 tops Mickey mantle. You're not seeing $10 and under base cards in showcases. It's not worth the real estate. So where you say influencers have cramped on, on the, idea of collecting base i don't i don't know about that i think i think no i won't say that yes some have but base cards are so it's such a broad term and and when we talk about base cards not being as investable as they once were we're not talking about 52 tops mickey mantle base rookies like soto rookies and acuna rookies and vlad rookies and uh prism burrows and prism herberts and Zions and Jaws and Lamellos and Anthony Edwards and whoever it is, the base versions that are not color numbered, not numbered or colored, just the base rookies. For a while, that was the hottest thing in the market. Everyone jumped all over that stuff because, again, you go back, you go back 10 years, Brian, when I started watching my maybe it was 12 years now, my first time watching any box break, any group break on whatever that channel, breakers.tv, wherever it was, you every breaker. You couldn't see the base. Skip, 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 hit. Here's the hit, guys. Auto jersey. You know, probably a little bit more brouhaha than the card called for. But mm-hmm. you don't need the base. Just the base was quick. The base was meaningless. It was a waste of paper on those shows. What happened to that base? Did it make? Did it get to collectors to to build complete sets? I hope so, but I doubt it. I doubt a lot of it got to collectors who were building those those. Complete I think sets. it's all at Burbank in numerical order on Beckett yeah. Marketplace. That's where it yeah. all or on Sport Lots. That's where all those cards are. But yeah, you're right. There's a difference in base. And again, when I refer to it, I'm talking about base rookies, which were the thing a year ago. Prism Lucas, Prism Trays, Prism Tatums. You know, that stuff, Giannis. Giannis is one of the best players that we may see in our, I mean, he is a freaking phenomenal player. And for his stuff to have gone down, like you have to look at that and say, something's up here. The run for and the problem is every guy's taking their whole collection and trying to trade it for 100k card. And you, how many times have you seen this? Yeah. They'll take all this stuff they've accumulated and turn it into 150k card because then they can show it off on Instagram. Because that really the influencer comment was really pretty good though. Because I think this Instagram show off mode has pushed people into the higher and higher levels without you know it's not if I go on there and show off. A thousand Acuna updates, PSA 10. Does anyone really care? Like, that's way less sexy than even a 20 grand card, even though my collection may be 120 grand. A 20 grand card is sexier, right? 
So oh, it's like, more fun. To, I, you're right. It's more fun to look at. Anytime I'm on my Instagram and I see uh, an '80s or a '70s base card, I don't. I just go past it. I, I've seen saw it on Clubhouse. My little my little moniker on Clubhouse. I, I just bought a Soto Blue Chrome on it, which is like a 40k card because I love Soto. So like that's my little moniker. I didn't put all my Acuna's on there. It's worth three times as much. I put my one little Chrome Soto because you know what? Everyone looks at it and goes, "Ooh, ha, ah, so cool. Ooh, you know." And I'm an idiot like everybody else. I want people to think what I bought was cool. I don't show off my mundane garbage that no one really cares for, but I'm a contrarian, so I'm buying that stuff anyway. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a lemming like everyone else, just trying to show off the handful of really cool cards I've got. I put up, I put up this comment here because you made it, and Superbad was just quoting you on the show right. mode comment. But you know what, Brian? Like uh, on the on the earlier show that we just had with Ryan from Gemrate, we were talking about the ability to display your cards and how Instagram gives you that ability. So I see, I follow lots of player collectors. All I see, I followed a guy today. All he collects is Ron Hextall. Well, I followed him because I want to see his Ron Hextall cards. But, but you know, it makes, it makes the hobby more fun because we want to display our cards. We want to show them off at times. Some, some people don't want to, they don't want anyone to know what they have. Other people like to share their cards with their, with their card community. So is that that's been very good for the hobby. It's brought people in, I believe, but at the same time, is it bad for the hobby? Does it have its pros and its cons from the sounds of it? I guess it does. Cause may, and for sure it's may it's giving people inferiority complexes as well. doesn't matter where you stand. You put out a $50,000 card and the next guy puts out a three quarter of a million dollar card. You might have an inferiority complex. You put out a hundred dollar card, everyone else putting out thousand dollars. You can feel bad that I don't have what it takes. I, you see comments like that all the time. People always make the comment, well, that it's out of my league, but nice cards. Well, I have friends. I have friends that I quit going places with them before COVID because they look down on what I do because I don't like wear the Rolex around. I don't do the flashy stuff. Like I'm kind of, on, I'm kind of a plain Jane country. Well, I'm drinking out of a mason jar, as someone pointed out. You know, that's not the coolest. That's country Texas, you know, but, I'm, but I mean, I don't even like going with them because it becomes a show off show. All they're doing is telling me about these vacations and these cars and these, you know, how they sold their stock. And they did this. And it just got to the point where I was like, how about like we talk about football or like fantasy football or music or this concert we went to that was like anybody could have bought a ticket. But it's all about how they did this and they got invited to the backstage. This It's like it's a show off show. And the problem with that, it's, it's cool because we all are voyeurs. We like to see something really cool we can't be part of. But after a while, you start feeling like you're not in the club anymore because you're not able to show off for a lot of people. You're not able to show off the stuff that the influencer types are. And I think that can have a, that can have a negative influence because it can make someone feel like they're not like, they're not playing. Like, you know what I mean? Like they're in a like they can't, Yeah. It's going to make people feel like they can't compete. They don't they won't forget and that's wrong. Cause I'll tell you what, I respect the guy who is visionary and can buy something that is so out of the box, like the people who bought tickets five years ago and who had the vision to do that, man, I'm much more impressed with the ticket guys who bought these crazy ass tickets five years ago. Than what I about the people, but Brian, what about, I mean, that's like saying I'm impressed by the crypto guys who bought Bitcoin eight years ago. Like, of course, there's always going to be that's the fantastic. early adopter. You know what? Here's the thing. Buying crypto at 46,000 and bragging about how you have 20 of them. You're no genius because you bought it at 46,000. First off, it's 43,000 or 42,000. But even if you bought it at 38, you're no genius. You spent a lot of money and it went the right way for you. 
The genius was the guy who, when no one believed, took a shot. Or the guy that buys base when everything is nosebleed. Or when vintage was getting trashed, there was a time vintage was getting trashed and everything had to be shiny. The guys who piled into vintage. You know, that's the, the guys that had the balls to buy Jason Tatum, Trey Young, Donovan Mitchell, Devin Book, all these guys in basketball. Basketball is getting trashed. Anyone who has, now Zion, that's just a gamble, but anybody else, if you have the balls to buy these guys when they're out of favor like they are, Luca, wait till, and those turn around, then I'll be impressed with those guys who had the balls to really just not give up and who just kept chipping away buying stuff that's not sexy anymore. That people almost make fun of you if you have a bunch of Zions or Trey or whoever. Right? I mean, if you have that stuff in your showcase, people walk by your showcase and go, oh, great, another showcase with Trey and Zion and John, you know, Michael Porter Jr. and whoever it is. You know, the same guys. Everyone has the same stuff in their show. Jason Dominguez, you know, the same stuff. And so I think having the balls to stick with that stuff and not bailing just because everyone tells you it's only cool to trade into some $50,000 card, which I'm telling you, the amount of that I see is scary. The amount of people that take their whole collection and trade it for one card just so they can have a Jordan PSA 9 or PSA 10 or 9.5 or, and again, love those cards. They're great. But I bet you when they got into this hobby slash investment slash business, whatever it is, I guarantee that's not where their goal started. And I guarantee they may not have ever planned on having one card in their collection. But the number of people I know that have a 52 mantle now and nothing else, because they gave everything to get a 52 mantle, which I think is cool because it's a great card. But like things have changed and you lose some, you lose something. Mm -hmm. And anytime, I tell my daughters this too, because they're girls. I say, anytime you leave a little piece of yourself, like if you let someone inside your circle and they, it takes a little piece of you every time. So like, the hobby, every time we do this and we have these shakeouts where people feel inferior or we shake people out of base and everyone has to go buy grills and everyone goes and runs out of base and everyone buys vintage and we keep trashing stuff every time we change our flavor of the day, I think we lose just a little bit every time. I think it's just, we lose just a little bit of like the stability and the confidence in what we're doing. You know, does that make any sense at yeah, all? Yeah, it, it does. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I, there's been this whole, you know, trend toward consolidation, which is what you're talking about. Give everything away to get one big card or whatever. Trade five $25,000 cards for 150000 whatever it works out to, right? Yeah, I've never been a fan of that for me. It's not something I've done. I, I like reverse consolidation a lot of the time because you end up getting a lot more value that way too. Sure. Whenever, you're, whenever you're getting the best card or the best player in the trade, like in the sports transaction, you you're, probably, you're probably giving up the most. So consolidation is not something that I'm a, I'm doing. I'm more a fan of the reverse consolidation strategy. And if I want a big card, I'll find a way to get it. Maybe I will sell some cards to get it, but it's not like I'm going to sell cards I love. And, and that's okay too. But it's just, let's don't guilt people into saying it's either goats and growls or graveyard. Because that's yeah. how we're acting. It's either goats and growls or graveyard. That's it. Well, like, yeah. So let me bring There's up this comment. So I'm going to bring up this comment. Mark Santucci, I said I don't have interest in seeing base cards on instagram i think mark that this comment was in response that where he said so no interest in mike bossy rookie ken dryden marcel dion well so no that's not the that's not what i mean when i say i don't have interest in a base card i'm i'm talking about like worthless base cards i don't have any interest in really seeing them unless unless it's like the guy's uncle 
that used to play and he's showing it off on his Instagram. Hey, my uncle has a card. I'm going to double tap that because that's cool. But I don't need to see cards I've seen a hundred times. I own every card that's in this quote right now. I can look at it anytime I want. If I see a nice PSA nine or 10, I might look at it, zoom yeah. in, look at the corners and edges and the centering. But otherwise, I don't need to see them over and over again. I don't need to see every single Wayne Gretzky rookie card that gets posted or every MJ. I know exactly what these cards look like. So uh, big interest in them, but I don't need to see them all the time. And and that's, I think, what's going on, on a lot on Instagram is that people want to see things that they haven't seen before or that are worth a lot of money because it's impressive because it's just because it's worth a lot of money for that specific and really only reason. And a lot of times they're beautiful. They're just nice to look at. So high-end cards to me are often, they look high-end, you know, especially on the modern side of things. Otherwise they're super high grade and they look high-end because they're in gem mint condition after, you know, 70 years of existence. So anyway, yeah, yeah we're, we're, I still, I still like looking at those old cards. What I love is when some astute collector takes the time to actually look at the backgrounds and they're like, check out the dude in the, in the brown sweater in the background. How 76 is that? Right. Like, to me, I think that's more cool than just looking at a PSA nine Trottier. It just is. Looking at the dude in the background who really exemplifies the era that the card was printed. And it reminds you that those cards are 50 years old. Like that's the, we, we forget sometimes that even 88 tops junk is 33 years old now. Like, think about that. I mean, yeah. It, sometimes we forget that. And I think that's what's kind of cool is I think there's a place for everyone. And hopefully we will be appreciative of everyone. Because I can't tell you how many times I see on Twitter someone shows off a card they're proud of that's a $50 card. And people shame them for like a $50 card not being cool. And I'm that's like, that's straight, up, that's straight up bullying, Brian. There's no place for that. Call them it. out. I mean, that there's no place for that. Flipping Steve jumps in and says, I post old Panini rock and roll stickers. So do I, Steve. I love my old Panini That's rock. Cool. Like, go down my page on Instagram. You'll see several of them. And why? Because those are freaking cool. Panini rock and roll stickers are cool. Why are they cool? Partially because we don't see a lot of them. Now, if everybody was posting Prince stickers from 1984, eventually no one's going to care anymore. And we're going to stop double tapping that. But for now, not enough people. Similar to tickets. I follow a couple ticket accounts on Instagram. They're a couple of my favorites because I'm learning something every time I read their post. I'm curious, what does that ticket represent? What's special about that ticket? Is it because something momentous happened in the game or was it the, when you, the first thing you took your wife to? Either way, both are very cool to me. Yeah. I want to know about both of them. I think they're both yeah. super cool. Honestly, but, I've, been buying, I've been buying tickets huge on eBay now for some projects I'm working on. And I'll be honest, there's nothing cooler than looking at Rose Bowl tickets. And cotton bowl tickets over the last 20 years, tickets are so beautiful. Like I really lost them, not the ticket master stuff. That's that's more memories of being at the event. But like these pretty tickets, man, they bring back like they're so nostalgic. They capture a time period. Like just I, like they, cards do. Just they're like evoking, cards, you know? I gotta be honest, they evoke more emotion in me than any modern card. I don't I don't get the emotion in modern cards. I more marvel at like technology and creativity and things like that. But I mean, that's what the, that's, what's amazing about this. This hobby has so much potential to be so many things to so many different people. And ultimately because of either the price or because of shaming or because of other consumer or dealer behaviors, I think we push people away. And I think we should be embracing them because the guy that builds 
um, an upper deck hockey set can eventually become a guy who breaks a boxing cup. I think that can happen. I really do. A lot of people don't think they ever do. They become the guy who buys a blaster can eventually become a cup buyer. Most people don't think that's possible. But I think it happens. Not Not in a week, but in time, they can grow into someone in the hobby who can play at a different level. And I just don't want to, you know, I just don't want to see us push people out of the industry and push people out of collecting or buying or investing or whatever it is we do with this stuff. I just hate for us to push people out. I hate that. Yeah, so so do I. There's there should be room for everybody except fraudsters. I want to bring up uh, I gotta I gotta bring up criminal minds comments here. Criminal minds. I'm trying to get along with you today, but this one I think we're going to be able to attack quite nicely. Base. He says base cards have no eye appeal. They're ugly, and quite frankly, there's way too many of them. Now the way too many of them piece. It is what it is. But what do you? How do you respond, Brian? To base cards have no eye appeal and they're ugly. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, listen. If you're if you are if someone is addicted to hard drugs, marijuana or alcohol may not do it for them. So whatever it is that you love, your love for that thing may be so blinding that you that you can't see you can't see the beauty in something that is pretty simple. A nice base card design. And again, by base, base isn't always cheap. Prism has base and that's not garbage. Prism is a pretty card in some cases. You know, there's something there that's attractive. It doesn't have to be ugly. We're not talking about just like Topps 2021 paper. I don't find those cards attractive. I don't find 2021 Topps baseball attractive. But I find other products they made in 2021 attractive that have base in them. So again, beauty, you're going you're gonna to decide from set to set if you like a design or not. But to say that there's nothing special about the core rookie card of a player, that's the foundation of the hobby. And in the beginning, it was the first and the last card of a player. It wasn't just the first card. 69 mantles were always more valuable than 68 mantles. People wanted the last card. you know. But you just have to be like, I think we just have to be a little more open-minded. Except and say, hey, you know what? If you don't like base, don't buy base. Again, when I keep talking about base as much as anything, I'm talking about the investors. Because that segment of the market, the, the trashing of base over the last eight months has done more to harm the trading card market than virtually anything since the rally started in late 2019 before COVID. I think the the bailing of base, because that's where all the pains happened. You know? I think that's I think that's where all the pain has happened. Most of the pain in the hobby is prism base, chrome base. You know, it's that stuff that that's where people got crushed. Tops update. People got crushed buying base. And when everybody loses, the hobby doesn't win. No. I know it's fun to watch some people win and watch everyone else. Sometimes it's fun to watch people lose, I guess. People people must enjoy watching others suffer or go through the pain. Like when they see Zion PSA 10s at 170 now, they're like, ooh, wouldn't you hate to be the guy that paid 800 for that? You know, and they get some joy in that. Like, we're not growing the business that way. We're growing the business when guys do well. We should be rooting for people to do good. Instead, we like take some secret hideous joy in guys getting their ass beat. You know, what's good about that? And I think we do that sometimes as a hobby, not me, but I think we do that as a hobby sometimes. Well, we we, we, like we do it. We, 
we do it as humanity, Brian. There, there's those people who wish others well, and there's those people who don't wish others well. And we've got we've got a mix of that in the hobby too. You have it in every in any subculture in any niche. So it, it is what it is. And hopefully the good outweighs the bad. Unfortunately, the bad or the negative is usually a lot louder than the positive. So we so there are a lot of negative uh, narratives in the hobby. They're I call always it the vocal out. minority because the vocal minority they scream the, the loud. It's five people who complain about everything, you know. And it, what they don't see is, and this is why I used to get so upset when people would get, when people would say things on social media that were negative about what I'm trying to do, the creativity or whatever we're trying to do. And I used to get so upset when I'd see two people make a comment. But then I would get like 20 emails that were like, dude, keep up the good work. You're killing it. And it's like, okay, that was, that made me feel better. But I used to put too much credence in listening to the vocal minority. We just got to put our head down and do the best we can do. And that goes for me making cards. Or you guys out there buying cards, buy what you want to buy. Don't let anyone tell you you're foolish for what you buy. A lot of people got rich in the stock market buying stuff that other people said was garbage. You know, you yeah. can't worry about other people. You're smart. You know what you well, want I, to do. You're and right. If you do this and you enjoy it, then that takes the investment side of it and makes it, you have a, you have a, you have like a hedge because you enjoy this stuff anyway. You're right, man. You got to, you got to put your head down, do what works for you, collect what you like, be true to yourself. And to the extent you can, ignore the negativity, ignore the, ignore the pessimists or, or, the, the, or the people who, you know, like criminal minds here in the chat, you know, ignore or have fun with them a little bit too. But, you know, sure. you've got, you got to keep your head down. You oh. got to do what you got to be true to yourself and don't worry about what anyone else says. That's Colin, uh, Murray, down here. Colin Murray down here said, is the top still good for LCS and what is the future of the law? Yeah, but hold on one sec before yeah. you answer that, because I, I noticed that and I was about to get to it because I do want to, I want to, we're kind of freestyling here, which is great, but I do want to hear, <laughs> we're going to, hold on, we're going to work this in, we're going to work this in, but I really want to hear your thought. We're going to come back to Fanatics acquiring tops and what that means for the hobby. Right, we talked right, about right. what it means for the, for printing, for Upper Deck, for, for Leaf, for, for Panini. But I want to hear from you now, and thank you to Colin Murray for, for uh, sparking this. What does it mean for the LCS? What does it mean for the breakers? And what does it mean as far as accessibility of product? Does Fanatics acquiring tops, you know, there's there was all this concern in the hobby. Uh, maybe, maybe it's legitimate about, you know, Fanatics wants everything. They want the LCS. They want the breakers. I mean, this is the, this is the message that people were, were hearing from when Michael Rubin appeared on CNBC. But in your opinion, what does the acquisition of Fanatics uh, or the Fanatics acquisition of Tops, what does that mean for the LCS, the breakers, and overall accessibility of product? See, this is this is what's so hard. The, the so hard part about this is it's going to be one or the other. Again, this is a terrible answer. It's either going to be all or nothing, I have a feeling. Because if you're a store, call Fanatics and find out what the wholesale is on Trevor Lawrence. They let you make like 20% on a Trevor Lawrence mini helmet. Um, you know, I think that's, if that's the model, stores that are used to making better margins and distributors who are used to making better margins and all these people in the middle who are used to making a bunch of money are going to have a rude awakening. If that holds true, the same way they handle memorabilia, if they handle cards that way, that will be a rude awakening. If the only way a store can get product is to go compete with consumers sitting at home on the internet where everyone's buying at the same price, the public's paying the same price as dealers, that's going to be a tough world. You know, um, at the end of the day, 
Fanatics has an incredible opportunity. And I said this at the industry summit. I said, retailers, you better be scared. And Fanatics, you better not leave the retailers out of this. Because that's the beauty of it. The retailer needs Fanatics, but Fanatics may not know yet how bad they need the retailers. Because I'm telling you, we have a perfectly good thing going here. The best way to screw up something that's going great is changing everything when it's going great. And it's a big risk. I, I pray, A, that Fanatics will do the right thing, leave the distribution system substantially intact, not allow it to go as... There's some things they could do to help tighten it up a little bit to try to help the marketplace. Maybe get rid of some of the smaller distributors who really aren't providing much service. The distributors who don't do a good job of providing service, maybe. Maybe expect retailers to provide more service to their customer than just being a flipper or a, you know, cause there are different kinds of stores. There are incredible stores. And then there are stores that are basically a front to flip wax. You know, there are breakers that do a phenomenal job and there are breakers that don't. And I think it's just going to be a function of can fanatics figure out who those key people are in the middle and utilize them. And that's what I'm happy about with the tops thing. Because now they're going to get two years to figure out what's going to happen in the middle. Like, can the distributors be good for the business? Can the stores be good for the business? Um, you know, we'll see. I'd like, I wish, if you can get Rose Marble there to comment further on what I've been wrong about many times. I, I've been wrong before. I'm not perfect. There's no, Brian, there's there's no shame in being you, wrong. You know, sorry, I thought I was wrong one time. No, I, I really, I used to think I was right about everything, but I've definitely been wrong about stuff. I'll be honest with you. I uh, I thought it was going to take longer for tops to get bought. That, that shocked the hell out of me. That shocked okay. the hell out of me. But what I will tell you is, here's what, here's what I'm not wrong about. There's one certainty. And that's that not one of us knows exactly what Fanatics is going to do. It's that not one of us knows what Panini's talking about when they're in their meetings. Except for what I've told you, you have no clue what I'm talking about with my staff, whatever they're talking about with their staff. There's there's a lot of, I was wrong about Tesla stock, but the, the uh, but I will tell you this. I think a lot of, I think a lot of us like to play Monday morning quarterback or backseat driver and think we know what's going on. Trust me. I can only go on what I hear and know. And I talk to people at every company and I glean information. So when I shoot out, like, I believe this is happening. It's because I'm talking to people that are kind of telling me what's happening. But even then we don't have full information. So we just have to know our limitations. I think what I try to do is I try to share information that I hear and know and hope that you can glean from it something useful. Whether it's about manufacturing, no problem. Um, if it's about buying base when no one else wants it, I think being contrarian has proven to be right. If you look at my Twitter over the last two years, look at the cards I recommended you buy. Minus Acuna update, I've been pretty good. Remember when I was on your show and I was telling people to buy 86 tops Jerry Rice's? And like I was buying them and Marinos, I was buying them on your show while I was talking to you. Yeah. I and I said, if you want to buy Marina, if you want to buy Jerry Rice PSA 8s at $55, I'm going on right now and I'm buying everyone on eBay. So I suggest you join me. Those are $250 now. So it's like, 
I promise you, it's just, you know, who knows? I can't take it. It's just, we, we, no one's perfect, but I think we- No, listen. But I listen, think we, Brian. you come on here every week and you like bring people on to share ideas and thoughts, like Jim Wright. I got something out of that. I got a few ideas actually where I listened to him and I said, this guy's smart. And I was able to glean a couple of ideas and I'm like, this data is useful to me in these two ways. 90% of it is not useful to me. But I saw some things in what he said and I listened to him and I said, there is some value in what he said. I need to listen to that. Even if it doesn't seem interesting, he said three things that resonated. It was worth an hour to me Yeah, for those three things that resonated. So I hope that I said three things that resonate. You can think I'm a lunatic or you can think this guy is, you know, he's shock value, Howard Stern. I'm certainly not trying to be that. I just love this hobby. And we've worked way too hard to get where we are. We finally get respect. When you collect cards or invest in cards now, you don't get laughed at anymore. Like we, people laughed at us, didn't they, Jeremy, for years? They thought we were nuts. When you tell them what you do, they laugh at you. Yeah. But now... I'm telling you, I get more respect from my friends than I used to. That's for sure. Yeah, no doubt. Same. More, more, and more people ask me about it because they know that I do it. All right. Okay. Stop talking for a few minutes, please, so I can. So, <laughs> listen. I want to say that first of all, if you're anytime you're putting yourself out there publicly like you are tonight, you're going to you're going to make some some prognostications. You're you're going to predict some things that are going to happen. You're not going to be right 100 percent of the time. You're allowed not to be right 100% of the time. At least you're out here taking a stab at it. And if and then we have people who who kind of come at you for doing that and, and now they call you up for being wrong. At least you tried. It's like if you if you you it's like Wayne Gretzky, it's like Michael Scott says about what Wayne Gretzky says. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. At least you're taking shots yeah. and I respect you for that. It's it's easy to call people out uh, especially if you're not taking the shots. Second thing, I want to go through a couple of comments here cuz we've we've had a bunch here. Uh, so I'm just going to go right here. Uh, I like this from Jordan Hudson. Brian, what do you think of this comment? Read it. What do you think of it? Well, I love profanity, as you know. But uh, no, but seriously, I think, um, I mean, I've known you a long time. And I think uh, I think we respect each other. And at the end of the day, you know, I do kind of get excited. But I mean, I'm going to argue that that's why I need to be in the hobby. It's because I actually have like this crazy passion. And guess what? You do too. You sit on here every week when you could be doing something else for sure. And the time you spend prepping and between this and the collectible show and, you know, all this stuff you're doing, you clearly have a love for this hobby. It's not about to, you're trying to get rich doing these pod, these video casts. You're doing this because of a love of the business and a love of the hobby and talking to people. And like, that's awesome. And you know what? I, I do start running off at the mouth because of that. Thank God there are people like you who can say, hey, Skipper, for just a minute, you know, and that's great. I love that. And, and the fact is, if you let me, I'd sit here and talk for six hours without. I know. So I'm going to I'm going to get my mason jar or breathing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut you off again. What I liked about that comment was that basically I'm the only one that can handle you out there, which is OK. You're, okay. Almost, you're almost the only one. My wife, if she was on here. First she off, handle she you. would have shut me down like six times. All right. Next comment. Next. Matt Pime says, uh, Brian, what is the best case scenario for you considering the merger? Keep it quick if you can. Best as case scenario. As funny as it is, I heard people say like, I'm making a sales pitch to bias. At this stage, we're talking to three people right now. Not for you. Not for you or Leaf. For the hobby. Best case well, scenario for the hobby. you considering the merger. What is the best scenario for you? Oh, he does say for you. My okay. bad. Okay. I'll give you the hobby. My best scenario, I'm just going to put my head down and keep working. If we get bought, we get bought. If we don't, we don't. 
We made enough money this year. We never have to work again. So we'll figure it out one way or the other. It doesn't really matter. Um, for the hobby, best case scenario, fanatics executes. Whether it's buying another piece or two or figuring out how to, how to take tops and make that enough, if they execute and do not harm the consumer in the process, we've got to control some of the pricing out the gate. What's happening on products the day they come out, for a product to be 10x of factory cost the day it comes out, that is not healthy. It's not healthy. It's not healthy. It's not healthy. we got to stop. If they can do anything to help create more of an IPO situation where products start at a fair level and then go coconuts, that's a lot healthier thing. No doubt about it. And I think my hope is that if they can get that piece down, the hobby is going to end up in a lot better place. I really believe that. And I don't believe Fanatic's goal is to take over the world. I believe they want to stay true to their slogan, which is Fanatic's everything licensed. And I think that's going to be their business. And for everything else, there's Panini Leaf, whoever. <laughs> All right, I'm going to go to this comment from my buddy Valentini Kitchens. Says, I said the exact same thing you said, Brian, when I met him. Oh, this is a compliment for me. I'm going to read it because it's a compliment for me. Sure. But he says, uh, Jeremy's on here for the love and passion of cards. He does this every Saturday. And this is why we literally went to buy from him. And that's what I want to focus on. You know, relationships are so important. But yeah, uh, Valentini, his, his son, his brother, they came to my booth and bought cards for me uh, because of this show and just knowing them. So just the power of, of relationships and, and networking. And, uh, and I think being a positive influence on the hobby uh, is something that you, you can't uh, underestimate. Ayo Rhino BG, which celebrities will never sign again or too rich to sign cards again. We're not going to go into that right now, but thanks for the comment Ayo and great to see you back again. Um, okay. We're, we're going to, I know it, it, we've been on for an hour 45. I want to, we can come back to the fanatics tops thing or something else, but there have been a couple comments. Uh, Bless and Breaks has asked, and others have, and I had it on my list because there's this big uh, Logan Paul Pokemon BBCE deal going on. So I'll bring up Bless and Breaks first. Comment: What are your thoughts on Card Kahuna Sports? Okay, what are your thoughts on Card Kahuna? And then please talk about the fake Pokemon sale. Your thoughts on um, this individual named Card Kahuna? So. I don't know. I think I know who Card Kahuna is. I think his name is Jacob. I'm not 100% certain, though. Uh, but, Brian, this whole Logan Paul case of Pokemon, I heard today that it was now, it's been verified as, as a fake case that he bought for $3.5 million. Brian, what are your thoughts on, on this, this whole fake case of Pokemon issue? I mean, this is, I mean, if you think about it, it, it I think, again, I, what I hate about stuff like this, first off, I'm friends with the, the authenticators from Beckett for autographs. And when I, the one thing they taught me back when they were at PSA, because they're now all at Beckett, because I'm an autograph guy too. And what they taught me, one rule is know your limitations. And the, that's like one of the best things I ever heard. I'll credit Steve Grad and Zach and Brian, those guys. They taught me to know my limitations. I know the autographs that I know, and I know what I don't know. And the things I don't know, just to try to be full service, I don't need to pretend I know them. So when I put cuts and leave cards, I get authenticators to look at them because I don't know everything. And so, you know, I think we have to apply that everywhere. And I think for Baseball Card Exchange, who I do business with, I think you have to say, we're just going to take a pass on some stuff. We're just not going to wrap some stuff if we're not sure. 
Because now that's how it's, now it's like, well, we want a shirt, you know, we had to go on that, you know, it's just like a, a, a web of, like excuses. Come. We don't need excuses. Just don't do it if you're not sure. You didn't need that $3,500 you got paid to shrink wrap that case or whatever it was. You didn't really need that that bad, you know, for real. Just know when you got to say no. And that's what I love about, like, the authenticators at Beckett. There's times they'll just give the autograph back and say, we're not going to render an opinion on this one. Right. Because it's just better than, like, some companies will just fail it. That's not the right answer to just fail it if you don't know the answer. So I think that's where I'm most disappointed. And I think this, it honestly gives me a little... Makes me a touch nervous about some of the sealed product that may be wrapped. Because while I think the expertise in sports is definitely stronger, um, you know, I think while it's while, while the expertise in sports is probably stronger, I think it does cast, whether we want it or not, some shadow of doubt on the process and on the final product in some extent. To some uh, it, do, it does. But the one thing that I'll say to all this is that the hobby has proven that, that it's willing to look past these things. Oh, sure. We're willing to get, we're willing to give uh BBCE, PSA, BGS, whatever, whoever's in any sort of authentication business, we're willing to give them a pass. There will be some new drama that will unfold a week or two from now. And we will probably forget about what just happened. Now, <coughs> you know, I agree. I don't know the story, so I don't know what sort of expertise uh, BBCE felt they had with a Pokemon case. I just don't know. But, you know, if they decide, OK, you know what, we we made a mistake. We're only going to we're only going to authenticate sports products now that we have extensive experience with. I think the hobby is going to be OK with that. And and every every uh, uh, BBCE verified unopened pack I have in my collection, I don't question it and you know what if one of them is was tampered with still looks great in that psa slab and i i'm never gonna open it anyway so yeah and again i think i think steve is fantastic at what he does i really i really do believe that i'm not at, at baseball heart exchange steve hart really knows what he's doing they're they're good they really are good it's just we keep it's like we take five steps forward and maybe this is only a step or two back but like I just, I just hate stuff. Like, I hate the trim card stuff we went through. I hate that. You know, these are just, it's just one of those things where we have to, it's like when anyone has to explain stuff to me about why, you know, the more, the longer the story is, the less I want to hear it. Like it turns me off. Yeah. Like someone will bring me a piece of memorabilia and I say, what kind of provenance is there? Well, they give me this hour. So okay, if you had to talk to me about it for an hour to tell me why it's good, like that's not for me. Like there's too much talking going on. This coming from me of all people. There's too much talking going on. That's not for me. And I think that's the problem we have is that it just, I don't think it helps our growth trajectory. And I think this is a small step back for sealed product. Yeah. And you know what? We're, we're not, we're not foreign to uh, small steps back, you know, three steps forward, one step back. It happens all the time. Someone mentioned that, uh, uh, here, PSA 10 says the trim PSA Wagner got a huge pass. And, that's true. I mean, Mastro came out, said he not trimmed it, but cut it from a sheet, I believe. The the PSA 8 Gretzky McNall Honus Wagner card. That's the first card ever authenticated by or slabbed by PSA. But it's, a, you know, when I think of that situation, I also just think to myself, well, that was the first one they ever did. They've come a long way. They've learned. They've built up their resources. They built up their, their, their uh, research database. I've seen it with my own two eyes and I saw it 
13 years ago. So I can only imagine how big it is now. But yeah, I'm, I'm willing to, to let that one slide for now because I know that that was 30 years ago and oh, things have changed, right? But and the other thing about that card is you have to remember back then it was the first card graded. So there was no real PSA rule about sheet cut cards. Now, later, they wouldn't slab those sheet cut cards in, later in their company. Like, if you cut an 84 top sheet and submit it a Merino, now, first off, if you cut it too big, they would slab it. But the really smart guys cutting sheets cut the cards just a little bit too big because then they wouldn't come back evidence of trimming or, you know, anything like or being minimum size requirement. But back then, they hadn't taken a position on that. And I'm of the position that someone's cutting the card from the sheet, whether it's me or the factory. So I'm not so sure that they shouldn't have slabbed that card if it was cut off a sheet. Now, further trimming beyond that, okay, I kind of get that. But I'm not so sure that a card cut off a sheet shouldn't be graded. Now, well, maybe maybe a company should note on there it was cut off a sheet, but no one knew at the time. It was well, a different right. world. Grading you're was right. sure. No one you know, knew at the time. You're right, Brian. No, no one knew that even 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 BGS they will grade a sheet cut card that that was not pack pulled and they don't note it on there. And I think they would like to go back in time and change that decision. But that said, for me, as a I don't I'm not a purist as much as I just don't think that a non pack pulled card, so a sheet cut card that was regularly available in a pack should go into a slab without there being notation that this was not pack pulled. I, agree I want my cards, if they were available pack pulled, I want them pack pulled. Not well, I think they and I think they should note that. Like they put hand they cut should. on some of those old 1920s and 30s weird cards. They put hand cut on there. They they probably should note that they were a sheet cut. And right. I think like so top PSA 10 says 84 tops Nestle's are sheet cut and PSA finally graded them. Right. But were they also pack pulled? I don't think they were. I'm not hundred percent certain were they only were they only distributed in sheets if they were then i'm okay with i've got plenty of hand cut cards in my collection a lot of my my early rock and roll cards are hand cut i'm okay with box bottom cards because you couldn't get them in a pack but All if right. you could have got them in a pack and then someone else cut them from a sheet decades later i don't want that in my collection i want i want my 70s and 80s rookie cards yeah, i agree with you i agree, I agree. ideally i do Although I will say there is a beauty to being able to buy a BGS 95 Elway for a stomachable price when PSA 10s are 5,000, 6,000. Yeah, and that's, and I do like the value. And I think they should say hand cut. I think the company, I think that was a Beckett fell early on. They should have identified them as sheet cut because they knew they were sheet cut. They knew it from day one. They just, I think they took the position that if they're cut off a sheet, I mean, if the cards yeah. measure up, there really shouldn't be a difference. Okay, that so I just want to, I just want to get back to this Pokemon thing for a second because there are men there even in the chat, people are not calling out but mentioning some of the parties who are at play in this in this transaction. I, I mean, and I'll listen. You've got Logan Paul. You've got this gentleman who goes by the name of Shine. You've got uh, Jamil from Mealy Pops, and you've got uh, Jacob, who is also known as Card Kahuna. I don't know. I think Logan Paul certainly bought it. You know, he's maybe the the certainly the the. I don't want to say. I'm. Let me just put it this way. I don't know who's at fault. I don't know who knew that this thing was fake. So I'm not going to call anybody out because I just don't know. But somebody obviously knew that this case was fake, and uh, and we'll see. Now that it's now that now that the BBCE authentication uh, has kind of fallen away and is no longer. 
a determining factor in the authenticity of this product and it's now been verified apparently is being fake, someone's going to have to pay the price here. Or, or, or maybe say we would like to see somebody pay the price here and there because there's been fraud. There's been the deliberate attempt to defraud someone of their hard-earned money or maybe their easily earned money, uh, you know, at the expense of, uh, in, in exchange for nothing, for something that's essentially worthless. So what do you think the fallout from that is? Not, not so much. I'm not really... Okay, we can talk about the overall hobby. I genu- genuinely don't think that the sports card hobby is going to be affected by this. I really don't. But what do you think the fallout is for the people at play here? Will somebody go to jail? Well, Will I somebody get a get the arrested? The guy that sold it's making it right. I heard right. Isn't that the story? I'm not sure. I think the guy that sold it's making it right. So that's number one. If he makes it right, I think the hobby is the loser. I mean, BBC. I mean, obviously, baseball card exchange is a loser for authenticating it. Clearly. They lose in that one. They, they, that definitely harms their brand image, no doubt about it. Um, I still trust Steve Hart with a lot of stuff, but that, that that's disappointing for them. But I think outside of that, I think the hobby, as much as you hate to look at the big picture, I think the hobby loses. The hobby lost because it's another thing we have to explain. It's a public shaming of the hobby, justified or not. Now, what's interesting about it is what if there is a sealed case somewhere? And this transaction, which is fake, or not maybe not the transaction is fake, the product is, that sealed case is now worth $3.5 million or more, right? Yeah. So, Theoretically. I mean, if, someone right really, if someone was really shrewd, they could use all this as a setup for a legit case to really be worth $4 million now, you know? But, I mean, again, who knows? I just, it's shrewd it's is shrewd is. Shrewd is one way to, to describe yes, that. Yes, for sure. Yeah. I just, I honestly, I just hate anything that's a black eye for the hobby because we just worked so hard to get this far. Any step back is a bad step back. Yeah, no, I think that yeah. says it well. Yeah, it's not, it's not good for the hobby. I think we can agree on that. It's not good. Although, as they say, any, as some people say, any publicity is good publicity. And this is publicity for the cardboard hobby one way or another, whether or not it hits mainstream media. Well, Logan Paul's reach is pretty, pretty wide. Yeah. Three and a half million dollars is a lot of money to most people on the on the planet. So it's definitely I hope I hope they catch that part of the story and not just that it was fake and there was a scam part of it. Because the fact he was willing to pay that kind of money, which first off, I think that would be considered a horrible goats and grails reach. You know, Pokemon goats and grails reach. I think it's a terrible buy at that level. But the fact that he's willing to spend that kind of money should be an eye-opener to people that you know, there's still money flowing into all these spaces in a massive way. Yeah. I hope that part of the story gets heard as much as the fraud part of it. What's your, uh, okay, we're going to move on for a second. What is your biggest prediction for the year 2022? Not, not related to fanatics buying tops, but just hobby wise. What's your, what's your, what's your biggest prediction for 22? Mine, mine is that leaf is going to be bought. What's yours? Well, I, I don't mind yours. I mean, I, it, it could happen. I think we're more likely to take a, we're more likely to take partner or partners. Okay. No. You don't I think need that's to hint it. What's your biggest prediction? Now, my big prediction, honestly, is that the, the the market will increase again in 22, despite the fact that cards have gotten beat up a little bit. On the whole, cards have decreased in value in the last 10 months. They just have. What? What card? Oh, in the last 10 months. Sure. In the last 10 months, everything that wasn't. Yeah, but Brian, again, and I mean, you know Brian. this. You, you you take out that 10th, 11th, and 12th oh, month. 
Take know, them out of the history and everything's up very of course, nicely. Of course. Okay, okay. I believe that the market, when I say the market, I'm talking about the value of cards. I'm talking about the overall size of the market. I think it'll be 50% bigger at the end of 22 than it is today. And I can tell you that the manufacturers are selling substantially more product in 22 than they sold in 21. So, I mean, I believe I believe the market as a whole, the size is going to grow massively. And this is before Fanatics reach. We're just going to grow massively because we're going to keep growing massively. I don't think there's a big shoe dropping that's going to change the world. I think the story of the year may be how uneventful it is after starting with a bang with tops. This year may be pretty uneventful. And I, that may I be the big story. I find that hard to believe, man. It's been one big but isn't story. That, isn't that the beauty of a great story is when you expect some big bang and nothing bangs? And you're like, wasn't there supposed to be an explosion there? But sometimes there's not. And I think that's where we're at. I think we're at a point where we may have heard the biggest bang we're going to hear for a while. But I think, I think you're going to see a lot of growth. And I think people are going to – I think maybe we'll start seeing people realize and quit saying – that the hobby only exploded because of COVID. Like, I'm pretty tired of hearing that. It started before that. So, like, I'm, I'm really tired of hearing the market only went up because of COVID. Every private equity guy we spoke to early on in our discussions with people about buying Leaf, everyone was like, well, we're just not sure if this is um, the, the market's going up because of COVID or whatever it is. You know, we think COVID, you're, you're a COVID company, like Peloton and Zoom. And we're like, get out of here, dude. I think we're going to prove this year that we're not a COVID company. I really do. And I think that, not a company, an industry. We're not a COVID industry. And I think we're going to have a lot of growth. And I don't expect to see a lot of big dogfights this year. I think it's uh, I think it's going to be a good year for everybody. What do, you think about, what do you think about the Skeppy's comment here that it's inevitable that at some point the card market will be regulated? Is that possible in your mind? They got bigger fish to fry. They got they to gotta, they gotta regulate crypto. And they got to regulate. There's a lot of stuff that needs regulation before the trading card industry. I see no chance. The only regulation you'll see is if there is bad behavior on the part of someone who's got a bunch of exclusives. Then you could see an antitrust situation. But you're not going to see a regulation on buying and selling. And like, we're such a peon industry compared to the world. As much as we're growing, like crypto is the problem. They got to focus on crypto. They got to figure out how they're going to tax people properly and make people report it and, you know, not let it be used for nefarious stuff. Like, don't you think that's a better use of regulation is trying to figure out how not to let it be a black market well, it's, terrorism it's, payoff tool? I mean, it's, yeah, it's it's competing with 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 all the all the uh, currencies of, of the world right now. So, of course, of course, it of course, they have to look at it. it it's a store. Yeah, it's a transactable. Uh, I, I, I hesitate because so are sports cards, but sports cards are a drop in the bucket compared to the crypto. So I, I believe so. I could be wrong on that, but that's and I, so I think regulation, I think regulation is not really going to happen. But again, this is where we have to use common sense. Just because someone says a Luca Lugo man sold for 4 million. That card may not have sold for 4 million. They put a picture of a checkup. Like that doesn't mean it sold for 4 million. So buyer beware, consumer of information beware, because like, that doesn't mean anything. And people will have you believe things. That's why there's shill bids and all kinds of crap on eBay. You're led into believing certain things all the time. And so you don't have to take everything at face value. You use your brain. Even with me, I, I listen, I'm, I'm generally being very sincere in what I say. 
But there may be something I say that you think is self-serving. Weed that part out. Don't, don't value that part. Value the part that you get and we, it resonates with you and pull something from that. Don't listen to the rest of what I say. Or Jeremy, glean the part that you find value in and you trust and you go with that. Or exactly. if you think I'm full of crap on something, take that and go the opposite way and say, Brian's, he's off his rocker there. I'm going the other way. No, well said. Well said. It, it, yeah. I don't, I try not to give any advice on this show, uh, but I, as I've said tonight, I will, I will hype the hobby and until I die. And, uh, but I don't never, I don't want to give advice. You people have to make decisions for what's right for them. And, uh, but some people do want advice and guidance. And, you know, if someone reaches out to me directly, uh, or to you directly, you're, you're going to give it. And, and yeah, you give some publicly too, but that's okay. You, it's up to, we're all big boys and girls, right? So if you're going to act on that, on what you heard somebody say on social media, on YouTube or Instagram or wherever, a podcast, that's your, you're responsible for those decisions. So, yep. Yeah. Albert Jones says, keep up the great shows. I might consider reconsider letting go of my remnants. I've been bugging Albert about an Opeachy premier remnants, uh, Sidney Crosby card. <laughs> so, uh, Oh, I shouldn't have said that. Now he might get bugged by someone else. Albert, keep it. Yeah. Albert, sell it to me. Sell it to me. All right, Brian, anything else? We're over two hours. I'm, I want to, I want yeah, to this every up. time, don't we? Yeah, I don't mention that I, that, that I, if I ever sell leaf, we can, I can become a permanent co-host. We know that's not possible because this is Jeremy's show, not mine. So we know that if I'm on here, I'm going to do 77% of the talking. That's not, this is not a monologue show, even though I try to make it that. Jeremy does a great job. I am going to create some content for our website from time to time because I think it'd be really cool to show off some of the things we're doing and like to talk about what went into it. And to give people kind of look behind the creative curtain. I think there's stuff we can add to it. But Jeremy does a great job with what he does. And I think once a month or every other month of me is is plenty. You know, the only thing I'll leave is how much will production go up in the next year? Someone asked. And I think it's a great question. Because I think people in a business that's growing like this, industry that's growing like this, we'll say, I think people worry that we're all going to make too much. You know, some people thought, oh, thank God Fanatics about Tops because they were going to flood the market. You, know, you heard that from people, right? Like yeah. people thought because they're losing the licenses, they're lame ducks. Um, I will tell you, our production increase from 21 to 22 is about 10%. Which here's what's funny. Our production increase from 20 to 21 was 15%, but our sales doubled and our profits tripled. So because we introduced new categories, instead of increasing print runs, we found new categories and new products to bring to market. And we brought some really cool multi-sports in that helped create extra revenue without bastardizing the things we'd really invested in making decent. So this year for us, I can't tell you who I've signed for Pop Century, but they're so massive. We're going to make multiple pop culture sets, including some nosebleed, because I've signed some of the biggest names in the world. They're pretty crazy. Um, soccer, we made a major investment in soccer. We will, our checklist for this year's soccer will be the greatest checklist ever for a soccer set. No company will ever compete with what we're putting on the table this year. It's not their fault. We just have the best autograph checklist of all time. So soccer, then we're bringing back basketball with NIL. So the thing is, we're going to grow as a company without increasing production on the products, but making products in new spaces where we haven't made, like basketball, we haven't made in 10 years. We're bringing basketball back. So like, that's how we're going to grow. And I think that's much preferred to prank, cranking the presses to the point 
to where all the brand equity in a product is ruined. What and about I'm, overall, Brian? Hobby I mean, overall, overall, you- overall, I think companies will probably increase production 20 to 30%. But we're hitting a point where you can't really like make too much more because you can only get so many autographs and players. You can only get so much content. And so, and the production issues, that's the big one. This They may make less this year because I forgot about supply chain. Supply chain is a huge problem. Production could drop 20% this year if we can't get paper and if we can't get glue and if we can't get acetate, then we can't find people in the factories to build the stuff and no one knows how to use the machines and there's no more slitters. And I can name 80 problems. Plastic sitting on boats in the water for three months. I mean, there's boatloads of problems. So if everything, if everything goes right, literally boatloads of problems sitting on the dock. But if everything goes right, I think it's probably 20% increase year over year. But the demand is so high. Maybe that helps bring the price down just a little to make that entry, the first buy into the market a little more. Because again, that's my biggest pleading is I pray we give people a chance to buy into products at a little bit better price on day one, because that's going to give people a fighting chance. You know, when they start at 10x, I just don't think that's healthy. So that's the game plan. So I I think we're going to grow as an industry. Hopefully we do it through new offerings and not through just raising production. But, you know. If everything goes right and blockchain, COVID, nor supply chain kill us, literally and not literally, then I think the industry is going to grow nicely this year, 20 to 30 percent across the board, which when you're the size of Tops or Panini, that's a lot of money. The size of Leaf, it's okay. You know, we're not going to miss any meals next year either. Brian, we're going to switch it up here. T. Jones, what's your favorite hockey card, both maybe favorite and favorite to invest in right now? I mean, I mean, honestly, no, don't I, say nothing. You'll, you'll insult me. No, no, I'm being honest. <laughs> I used to hate investing in hockey, as you know, but, and I always told you I hated hockey cards and I was an idiot. That's one place I was wrong, completely wrong. Um, I think my favorite cards, honestly, are the memorabilia cards of Vezina probably just cause I know they're not, they're done. Like Brian Price used the last of what he had. They're gone forever. He's got more. Well, well, he's this got- last product's the end of it. I mean, he has one more product coming. I think on Vezina and that's it. Yeah. That's going to be it forever. Now, maybe there'll be enough that that will give a lot of people a chance. But, like, we're down to, like, under 200 pieces. What about, what about rookie card-wise? Like, you know, Rookie card-wise, rookie card wise, I have to tell you, I think I'm kind of – I mean, honestly, for my collect – like, for my PC, I'd probably like to buy a Cup McDavid here. My only knock on him is I don't know if he's ever going to win. Like, Everything he will. I think he will. That's going to be the key to me. That card is that card has a chance of being so it's already big, but it could be epic if he wins. What and about that's, what that's about the Ovechkin? What do you think of the potential for Ovechkin's cup I mean, rookie? I bought I, I haven't ever I haven't bought a cup Ovechkin. I bought a few upper deck PSA tens recently because I think he is the best of the group. Let me ask he's the best of PG. But he's Russian and we know what that means. He'll never be the no, same. It doesn't, I don't think it doesn't matter so much. It matters, but not as much he's as it used Canadian, to. He's Canadian. PSA tens are fifteen thousand dollars. I'm listen, okay. No, I, I'm not gonna get into what I was gonna get into for various reasons. Um what do you what do you think the top end for his young gun is, the PSA ten? Currently at about eight, nine grand USD. Yeah, I think it can be I think it can be ten to fifteen thousand dollars. That sounds crazy, but I just I, mean, okay. I, bought little, I bought him a little less than that, but but I think that card, I think that card is I think he's the best of that group. 
Crosby, Me too. Crosby, Ovechkin, Crosby, Ovechkin, McDavid, all those guys, Ovechkin's the best. If he wasn't Russian, the card would already be 15,000. Well, he, he, he's, yeah, McDavid has uh, more years ahead of him, so time will tell, but they're all, they're, th- that's the, that's the triumvirate right there. I will, I will, I'll tell you this. I mean, obviously, Lemieux, Lemieux is a much tougher card and much more desirable for a number of reasons, but I'll tell you as a player, I'd take Ovechkin right next to anyone but Gretzky. I mean, I think Gretzky's the only guy you can argue is a better overall player in the last 40 years than, than Ovechkin. Is Gretzky? I don't, I don't know. Listen, let, let's, I, I would take McDavid right now. I think he's the best player in the world. I think he's got all the skills going. But I want to go to this other question here. More, It's okay. We, we can just leave that for now. I want to go to uh, Valentini's comment here. He says, uh, do you agree with Jeff Wilson's previous video this week about hockey and soccer being the next big push for 2022 because of very low PSA submission? So that's the key there. You look at gem rates reports every every day, every month, you see hockey is hockey is the lowest of all this. It's lower than way lower than even soccer. I think I think yesterday alone it was like one percent hockey, two percent soccer, and then like 38% basketball and baseball and football. Baseball and football are in there, but Hockey is very low on the PSA submission uh, rate. So how do you think that plays out in terms of this coming year as people see that PSA is grading hardly any hockey cards? That's not everything, though. Like, I mean, first off, supply and demand both play an important role in in how things are valued. And again, while I used to make fun of hockey's demand, I, I appreciate that there are a lot of investors in hockey and soccer. I think you have to consider demand, number one. But number two... I do agree that there are some cards that are mispriced probably in hockey and soccer. I mean, there are probably some cards that are mispriced because the more heavily traded a sport or a category is, the more efficient the market's going to be. Like Zions are priced where they're supposed to be because a gazillion people are buying and selling them. But Glenn Hall, PSA 9 rookies... (laughs) are probably not trading actively enough for the market to appreciate. Pick a newer card, Borks or um, uh, Bossies, who's not in very good health. And if, if he passes away, his stuff could actually take, I think that could actually impact the stuff because people will look at him again, you know, where they may not have looked at him in a long time. But I mean, I think there's a bunch of guys like that that may not be priced right because they don't trade actively enough and there's not enough supply, not just because the grading company is not grading them, but the cards weren't that nice. And that might be, but the fact that there's not that much supply, especially in good condition, Very the, way those, were cut, the way those were cut back in the day, you're right. But that is that is still part and parcel. That's of the part of the parcel of the argument. I, right. I think he's onto something in that those are areas where there are some more inefficiencies than other places. Yeah. Like to I me, Prism and Bappes, Prism and Bappes at these prices, like I don't see how you don't buy those. They're priced incorrectly because everyone threw the baby out with the bathwater on him. If that was any other sport, the card would be on fire. You know, with 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 the World Cup coming, I think there's I think he's onto something, but you have to be careful because again, sometimes he paints these pictures with very very broad strokes instead of really focusing to say soccer and hockey. You know, that's pretty broad. Like very broad, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. Guess what? If I if I shoot a BB gun, the pellets scatter, so I'm gonna hit a lot of stuff. That's what he just did. Why don't we aim at a target and like specifically say this part of soccer is undervalued? Because I don't think it's mega cracks and all those old Messies and Ronaldo's that are that are underpriced. That's overpriced. The stuff that's underpriced is some of the moderns, because people have just they've kind of bailed on it with that base rotation. 
that rotation out of base affected soccer too. Look at Holland and Mbappe and Fati and mm. all those guys. They've all softened up some because there's been a rotation out of base. It's supply and demand like anything. And I'm seeing more and more people from outside the traditional hockey community coming in and buying up hockey cars. And they're buying what we, you know, the goats. They're buying the, the top players and pretty much the top players only. But that's where it's going to go, right? I'm not, I'm not moving off into football and buying guys, I don't know. I'm buying the big, the big names, right? So it's it's just the way the hobby works. But I still, but again, like you said, there's inefficient, and I still think buying Eiserman, Opeachy's in high grade. Buying, I still think that next tier, Messier's the next tier after the goats. There's still a lot of value in that next tier because people don't appreciate how rare high grade '80s hockey is. Yeah. Well, here, Colin Murray makes a good point. Part of it, you know, he says I got tons of hockey sitting at PSA since May that aren't graded because it's just cost too much to grade as soon as they bring back a $50 grading uh, level you're going to see more of everything uh they have to scale of course but they'll get there okay but, listen. but also also we're going to learn a lot when they catch up that's when the pops are going to yeah. be real and until yeah. then you're taking a real risk by anything that was heavily submitted during the glut yeah because when that stuff all comes to bear we're going to find out where the floor is on some of these cards yeah and that will be the moment where the rotation back into base might be best time yeah, agree. Guys, everybody, Brian, that's awesome. We killed it. What's that? We killed it. Two hours and 16 minutes. Killed it. Uh, honestly, when I, when I came on with you before the show, I was like, I can't believe I'm awake at 10 30. Yeah, two, two and a half hours later. So I want to let you know, and everybody else, we've st I've started a new YouTube channel, no lives, just clips from these long form interviews. It's called Sports Cards Live Clips. If you've been watching for two hours, you've seen it on the ticker the whole time. Please go subscribe to that channel. I want to build that one up. It's going to be shorter videos, one a day. We'll probably get six or seven from tonight. One a day that's going to drop on that on that channel. Give it a subscribe. Some shorter videos, more digestible. So uh, check that out. And then just I just ask you to please support it. Support me. Support Sports Cards Live by subscribing to that. And uh, check out those uh, those short videos every so every day as they come out. I, I would really appreciate that. And thank you so much, uh, Brian. Great viewership tonight. Great discussion. Lots of comments. Great interaction by the chat. So I want to thank the chat, guys. That's awesome. Lapper says, keep on going. We're good. We're good. I, I can't keep I don't going. think I'm good anymore. I'm about to pass out. Yeah. This energy doesn't come without a cost, you know? That's right. That's right. But uh, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully people appreciate again. I, I do want to leave one thing, and then, then, I'll, then I'll quit talking for the night. I hope people appreciate that early on in the show when I when I show this excitement and this, it really is not a function of like fear that the world's going to come to an end or whatever it is, or that fanatics is terrible. They don't know what they're doing. Quite the contrary. I respect the hell out of them. I think they're doing, they've done everything. Like you said, they've been so right so far. The moves have been really right so far. I, I, I hope it doesn't come across like I'm nervous about the future of the hobby. I think they're going to do okay. I just hope that they know they probably need a few things to be perfect. And if they if they make those perfect steps, this hobby's going to crush it, man. And so hopefully I didn't come across like a maniac, but but I'm just that passionate about what we're doing. And guys, I think you're in a great hobby. You do a great job, Jeremy. I appreciate you guys. I mean, that's why we do this. That's why we kill yeah. ourselves doing this work, because people like you are passionate, people like these guys in the comments, even when they try to be funny, they're passionate. I love it. You know, it's great. And I'm not pushing the red button. That was merely an example of why you never see the leagues getting fights with unlicensed manufacturers.
All right. That's with it. that, with well, I didn't hear what you said. That's okay. Closing my mouth. I'm done for the night. Yeah, that's yeah, you're you're done. Uh okay. With that, thank you, Brian, for joining again. We'll have you back, of course. I don't know. This is probably your sixth, fifth, sixth, or seventh appearance on the show, but it's always it's always a good time. Thank you, everyone in the chat, for joining us. If you're listening to this later on, thanks for tuning in on YouTube or on podcast. Subscribe to the channels, guys. Really appreciate that. And uh, that's it. We'll be we'll see you back here uh, next week for for more episodes uh, as as we go. So that's it. We're we're ending it. Thank you everyone for joining. Have a good week ahead. We'll see you next week. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free to play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.